This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. Dimitri. I'm solid. And today, we have a very special treat. We're breaking through the barriers in the podcast verse, and we got a guest. We got a guest on the pod yes, for the first, first time. Guest first guest. Uh, talking about it, possibly. Uh, a heavy, know, one of the OG acolytes from the Grotto of Truth. Yeah, one of one of the OG acolytes, yes. Uh, act, and, very active Grotto participant. Feels, feels right to have uh this guest uh which is a uh, jimmy fallon gong and i have jimmy to say, fallon I, I, gong only after like saying his name out loud am i realizing it's one of those like twitter portmanteau jokes on jimmy fallon <laughs> uh like i was just like all right word like i never really examined it before but yeah uh, uh-huh. it is a so, good one yeah. it is a good mm-hmm. one it's very uh evocative so how you doing jimmy I'm doing great. I feel a little bit like this is like a Make-A-Wish Foundation wish. <laughs> Did someone forget um, to tell me I have cancer? Because I'm like, um, you get to be on my favorite podcast. Well, yeah, maybe we'll have you back when we do an episode about how sus the Make-A-Wish Foundation is uh, and the connections to like the Miami Mafia. Anyways, uh that would be no, a very, very funny like Make-A-Wish situation. Like, uh, you know, especially... Anyway, whatever. Uh, we need to like we're trying to like be respectful of, of of Jimmy's time here, like and not mm-hmm. just spiral off uh, into nonsense. So, yeah, sure, uh, sure. So today, uh, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, you've been you've been dropping uh, some prolific threads lately on Twitter, and I think you know from this podcast that we love a good Marxist Twitter thread, a deep dive <laughs> that really, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, honestly, I think. You know, talked about you know accounts like uh, like Crypto Cuttlefish before, uh, who I think was a true artist of the medium, and uh, I love it when anybody takes up that tradition of like really deep dive threads. And you did one recently about Jeffrey Epstein. Man, even just being mentioned in with in the same name as Crypto Cuttlefish, good lord. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. If you go to his uh, Twitter, if you go to at Fallon Jimmy, uh, or you know, look up his display name, you'll. I think it's the pinned, the pinned tweet. Still, you can find this <laughs> this thread. Uh, yes. Yeah, which is actually it is like uh, you know, it's 
It is a very interesting thread, and like uh, you were recently on the Offerman report to talk about it uh, in a little bit uh, more detail, uh, and it is a, it mm-hmm. is a very interesting angle on the whole Epstein thing. Maybe uh, Jimmy, you could like uh, some like uh, give us how you would summarize it. But to me, it's kind of about bringing in the idea of like uh, child development, like gifted children almost, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, with Epstein's interest, obviously, in like being a pedo, and also like in cryonics and uh you know transhumanism and new advances in artificial intelligence and Mm -hmm. all that stuff eugenics Uh, yeah yeah so like if i had to like summarize it in like one word it's basically like hey epstein might have been experimented on as a kid because there's a bunch of people with his same background and same place who were experimented on as kids who went on to do wild parapolitical stuff mm-hmm. and yeah, basically absolutely. the thread is like not really like i don't have proof that epstein was experimented on but like i'm just laying these two lives side by side and being like hey man what's going on here mm-hmm. yeah i think that's interesting because like in a lot of like you know epstein like what happened with epstein like you know his death and his mysterious circumstances and like uh you know his uh enmeshment with all these political figures that really uh, catapulted uh, a lot of like conspiracy discourse and even interest in like the occult into the mainstream for a while and created like a lot of more interest in it. But that's something that has always been like uh, hard for me to like get uh, you know to really square the circle of like with some of the stuff because it's like yeah these people are like into black magic you know they want to like you know ascend and become gods or whatever and also like they're like pedophiles you know uh mm-hmm. and like you always want to like what is the ritual purpose of like being a pedophile like where does this factor in? like you know what's the intelligence uh, advantage or the occult significance mm-hmm. of this i mean obviously there's like a rich tradition of it which i guess maybe we'll talk about because uh, it's something that some of the people who you discuss like have explored in their own work um but yeah it's something that it's that world in the world of epstein uh, especially in particular himself, like often don't really uh, converge or, or are not often put together in the same in that way. Yeah, yeah. Just to follow on that, I felt one of the things I felt was really valuable about this thread and the kind of line you're pursuing is I think it 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 takes a different tack than uh, like you mentioned, call it a lot of the more popular discourse around Epstein, which now has kind of like either sort of faded, gradually faded away or uh, has kind of been sucked into, like, the true crime sort of a prism of understanding of, like, this sicko rich guy who just, like, you know, uh, pursued all of his most deranged desires. And, you know, kind of even making it... And I don't, I don't think it's, like, inappropriate to call... Uh, to include Jeffrey Epstein as, like, a sort of prototypical Me Too story, but it's also so much more than that that mm-hmm. reducing it to just, like, I think that Netflix documentary, which I didn't even watch, called, like, Filthy Rich, you know, and uh, some of the just more mainstream reporting on it kind of goes in that direction. I mean, it definitely has had a pretty big cultural impact, a bigger one than I would have guessed five or six years yeah. ago when I first, you know, read about it. But I, what I like is you're kind of taking it back to the, it's not just about him being a sicko pedo. Like, how did he get this way? Why are there so many other people that seem to be involved in kind of the parapolitical, uh, mil- various parapolitical milieus that uh, are also pedos? Because it seems to be that it's not just about the attraction to children. Right? Do I have that right? I mean, 
yeah like or would you agree with that i i completely (laughs) agree with what you're saying like all the popular discourse like epstein of course he's a meme everyone's talking about him but like it there is that flattening effect where it's yeah they're just looking at him like he's true crime or something and like really the real implications of epstein are so much more vast than that like we're Mm-hmm. His story verges on like ritual magic, brainwashing, mm-hmm. like you know, offshore tax evasion, like just Iran so Contra, like angles. BCCI yeah. kind of stuff. Going back to the eighties, and like we're gonna get into it, but like I found an yeah. Iran Contra thing with Sarfati, man. Like it really, it's just a web, man. Oh my god. Yeah, well, let's uh, let, real briefly, yeah. yeah, that's one of the main characters in your thread. So why don't you just for people that haven't seen it or aren't aware, can you just give a little breakdown of like who Jack Sarfati yeah. is? For sure. And uh maybe real quick just to set the stage for Epstein, like the relevant range that we're talking about is basically before he uh gets his job uh at what was it Lehman Brothers? A uh, Bear Stearns, I believe. Bear, Bear Stearns. I yeah, so basically Bear everything that happens to him before that point. And, yeah, and before the Dalton School, thing, you know, things of this nature. Yeah, which so would then, the Dalton School was late 70s, Bear Stearns was early 80s, is that right? I believe so. Okay, yeah. So basically, broad strokes here, Epstein was called a genius, a math whiz, a math nerd. You know, the, his neighbors were interviewed saying this. He skipped third in grade. Coney Island, right? Yes, Epstein was in Coney Island. Mm-hmm. There in Brooklyn. He skipped third grade, then he skipped eighth grade. Uh, you know, he graduated early at 16. His neighbors tell stories of him tutoring his friends and neighbors in math. Apparently, he was actually pretty good at it. He was on a competitive math league in high school. Hmm. <clears throat> At some point, he goes to Interlochen. He's also supposed to be a talented piano player, which, I mean, there's stories of that from when he was a kid to, you know, an adult. So apparently he mm-hmm. was, like, fairly gifted at music as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically. And that's a, that's like a famous, uh, that's a very... You know, this wasn't like some hookup where it's like, oh, my kid's so smart, like because I like built the school or whatever. His parents were like, you know, they were like, a, like his dad was like a gardener or something. Like it wasn't like, you know, uh, that. Yeah, he came really from a very like working well. class Jewish family in Brooklyn, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Unless, not very yeah. remarkable. Yeah, um, but but you mentioned Interlock, and for those who don't know, that's like a very prestigious kind of youth arts camp in Michigan. That, mm-hmm. uh, that, like you said, Jeffrey Epstein attended. I think when he was like thirteen, in the this would have been probably in what the late nineteen the mid to late nineteen sixties, when he would have I attended Interlochen. Yeah, yeah, and and at the same time, uh, you mentioned uh, I think both both in the thread and on Opperman that he was a part of these kind of gifted children programs around New York, and he skipped two grades. So it his. His uh, kind of intellectual abilities or his proficiency in math uh, and, and, and things like that was noticed, basically, right? Yeah, the people would have known skipping two grades, his math abilities, his being on the math league, his musical abilities, going to interlock, and all of these flag him in the system, you might say, <clears throat> as a gifted kid in math and music. 
Mm. So yeah. all of that's important, basically, to set the stage for looking at this other guy. Yeah, mm. the gifted kid thing is so interesting. Yeah, uh, I I think that might be the most uh, yeah. like the fruitful or have the most. I my inkling is that it has the mo kind of maybe more potential than anything else in this thread. Is that li mm. I mean we've talked about it before in other contexts with like Project Monarch and I think on the on the Aquino episode. Aquino's mom. Yeah, I thought about Aquino's yeah, mom a lot. Oh yeah, Aquino's mom yeah. gifted a child exactly. It's studied yeah. by the mm -hmm. eugenicist uh, Louis Terman, uh, whose right. son like built the internet. Uh, yeah, so. It this 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 it shit goes back. It puts a spin on all that stuff. Like former gifted child. Like now I'm depressed. <laughs> like you know. Like uh, you know. There's a dark uh, dark spin on that. Uh, yeah. It is. Um, it I, is. Yeah, uh, but I also interlocking myself actually. But really, uh, I ended up not going. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm glad oh. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, but interesting. Yeah. But, I had friends who <laughs> went to interlocking. That's why it was so trippy. It was just like, oh, that's just the summer music camp that some of my friends went to. It's Wow. Yeah, it's incredibly, it's incredibly gross that he had like you know, uh, like a private cabin near the junior girls camp. Like, yeah. uh, that's incredibly gross. Yeah. Yikes. Um, Indeed. So, uh, yeah. Like, so, anyways, uh, yeah. Continue. Or you want to keep keep going there, Jimmy? Well. Yeah. Or uh, talk about Sarfati. Maybe, maybe Sarfati as a as a prototype of the gifted kid. Yeah. Uh, were you were you two gifted kids? Because I know I was, and I feel like most of the, at least the grotto, <laughs> seems like everyone in there was a gifted kid. I was not in a gifted kid program, which I think, like, really, like, upset my mom. But the thing is that, like, I am just, like, too, dis like, I'm not, like, you know, I had good friends who were in gifted programs, but I feel like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I... Uh, it's uh yeah i feel like i just didn't quite have the like the organization and i was just like too off the wall i don't know uh yeah to, yeah hmm. um, yeah and i yeah. went to catholic school k through 12 so i guess they don't really like believe in gifted children programs because i never saw i was never aware of one except by like watching malcolm in the middle which i always thought was a little weird um <laughs> but you know like that was my only like example of uh like oh i guess they have classes like that i mean there was like besides like ap classes in high school and things like that no yeah, we were, uh, i don't think you could be in a gifted program it was just everybody was in one class it's a pretty relatively like, small school so um I don't, I don't even think they're good man like not to like preempt the everything else but like it just it doesn't seem like it makes kid like it actually helps kids it seems like it might actually harm them and this is apart from any grooming or whatever but i don't know yeah do you think yeah. it segregates them socially to some extent from kind of other kids and yeah and like and puts pressure on them and kind of like uh, even on a baseline level there's a lot of online bitching about like Oh, I thought I was special, and I found out I wasn't, you know? Hmm. <laughs> and just stuff like that. And it's like, I could see that, I don't know, that's sort of a, you know, like, that's a separate question, but... All right, like yeah, I yeah, mean, to, yeah, well, yeah. Like not to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like uh, alienate anyone out there as a gifted child. What I was gonna say initially was that, like, you know, mm -hmm. gifted children, like they're a little bit like feds, you know. Like, uh, I mean, I was <laughs> like the main person I re I remember from being like in a GNT program, like in my high school was like like went on to be like rotc and i was like well you know like there's a reason why like he's rotc and like i am doing like a podcast called subliminal jod you know but like <laughs> uh 
Like, uh, but one thing that yeah. I always remember is that, you know, uh, like I said, I had a really good friend who was in the gifted program in elementary school. And this, like, you know, Jack Sarfati would talk about how, like, uh, they would be discussing, like, uh, UFOs and, like, how they might fly and stuff like that. And I remember mm-hmm. he had this project where they were talking about, like, how he like they were being asked to like uh brainstorm how humans might survive in antarctica and i remember him drawing like this woolly man like kind of like bigfoot or something and yeah i was like what is that and it's like well that's an evolved antarctican so like he's covered in his hair so that he can survive and i'm like what is this like what is going on here what is that not weird nazi cryptid yeah bullshit wow yeah like you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Uh, that memory definitely came to mind in terms of thinking about like the instrumentality of like these programs you know and like trying to get the, something out of these children in terms of like uh, understanding certain phenomena or, or tapping into their special qualities, you know? Yeah. 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 It's an interesting <laughs> exactly. alternative to the kind of Steiner school gnomes, uh, you know, gnome education and things like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So, okay. So, and I, yeah, actually I have to confess like I, because I guess of my, my like my my inherent like popery as a child um i guess you know i was never really aware of how big of a thing that these gifted children programs were but i guess they do go back a long way because jack sarfati is pretty old he's still alive right mm-hmm. but he was going into one in like the 1950s right yeah so because sarfati was born in like 1939 so as of when he would be doing this it would be basically the mid 50s yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and basically- he had and he had a very fortuitous encounter as well in I believe 1953, the same year MK Ultra began, where he got a phone call, right? Yeah, exactly. So he uh, Okay. I've read all of Jack Sarfati's <laughs> memoirs and it's mm-hmm. batshit insane. He's such a freaking mm-hmm. weirdo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as the story goes, and he actually has a little cartoon of it. I probably should have put it in the thread, but it's so weird. Basically, he describes in 1953, Jack Sarfati, and I should say he's known for being a basically like a physicist. So that's what he does, you know. Like a quantum physics like popularizer, you know. How right. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Like everyone, like oh, quantum physics is so cool, you know. Like we're all connected, like we, you know, it's uh, kind of like this weird mysticism, quantum mysticism yeah. stuff. Yeah, he, he's like not like he has a complicated legacy because like he teaches, like he's an academic, but he's known mainly for being, yeah, like a popularizer of basically like woo-woo quantum physics bullshit. I, yeah, I, I see here that he was the founder of something. This is very uh, subliminal jihad of the uh, fundamental physics group, uh, but physics is spelled F Y S I K S, groovy. Uh, founded in San Francisco in 1975. Um, I guess he was a member of this group uh, that was founded by Elizabeth Rauscher and George Weissman. Don't know much about them, but. I guess uh, there is a book called How the Hippies Save Physics, Science, Counterculture, and the Quantum Revival um, that said that the group's meetings and papers helped to nurture the ideas in quantum physics that came to form the basis of quantum information science. Uh, But other reviewers said that that author may have exaggerated the group's influence on the future of physics research. uh, And I I don't know. There's other books like The Tao of Physics and The Dancing Wooly Masters. And, uh, oh, look, there's a 
Francis Ford Coppola connection. Uh, he bought City Magazine in 1975, and one of its earliest features was on the Fundamental Physics Group, including a photo spread of Sirag, Wolf, Herbert, and Sarfati. So I feel like that's actually kind of like, a, a, a kind of in a nutshell, that kind of sums up his vibe. Is like he is kind of connected with academia, but he's on this kind of hippie fringe of like West Coast uh, scientists yeah, that seem to have had some kind of guy lim- too. Like, oh yeah, he was. Like, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, if you read through, like, uh, I obviously haven't read as much as Jimmy in terms of Sarfati stuff, but I did today read, uh, you know, uh, something that he had written for uh, MindNet, I guess, which is the MindNet Journal. I actually had this in our notes because. Yeah, this whole phone call thing he got and was something he had in common with Daniel Sheehan, uh, you know. And, oh, good old uh, Daniel yeah, Sheehan. It's crazy, like what he was. Yeah, right. Because here's the uh, thing: a bunch of people got those phone calls. Oh my gosh! Like Yuri Geller. Do you got know other people that calls. did? Yeah. Who did? Yeah, I didn't know Daniel uh, Sheehan got one. That is insane. Yeah. Really? According to yeah, according to uh, Jack Sarfati himself. Daniel Sheehan received uh, one of the phone calls, which I guess we didn't talk about the substance of the phone call, but uh, Jimmy, I'll let you do the honor of explaining it because it's it's truly great what actually this occurred in this phone <coughs> call. Um, yeah. Yes. So, in this phone call, mind you, this is 1953, Jack Sarfati is 14 years old. He's known as a gifted kid. Um, and I believe, let's see here. So this is when he's in high school. Um, <clears throat> he gets this phone call from something he calls a god phone and he explains it as a ufo and the you and the phone call says quote i am a conscious computer on board a spacecraft we have identified you as one of 400 young bright receptive minds you must give us your decision now if you say yes you will begin to link up with the others in 20 years unquote Sarfati, and that's the weird thing. Sarfati doesn't actually say what the question is, <laughs> but he basically says yes, and he does, of course, link up with all of these weird people, including people who got these phone these phone calls. It's it's just insane. So yeah, what what who are some of the people that he ended up kind of befriending or collaborating with or associating with? Because it would have been let's see what 1973, the 20 year, you know, clock runs out on now you're all supposed to go meet each other, and uh, so who are some of those people? I guess like Daniel Sheehan is one. Yeah. So, and not all of these people got the phone call. That's important to note. But a lot of his close. Uh, acquaintances and friends and co-workers were Andrija Puharic. Oh, yeah, Andrija Puharic. Yes, yes. The channeler. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to do a whole thing on him one day. Uh, really sure. interesting. Yuri Geller. Yeah, he was the guy who did the... Did, he brought Yuri Geller to SRI, right? Yes, Mr. Spoons. And I, I always forget. Was he involved with the Nine, or am I mixing him up with another person with like a South Sarfati? Slavic name? <laughs> oh, not Sarfati. Uh, Puharic. Puharic. Yeah, he was very involved with the Nine, and Sarfati was okay, there okay. for a lot of the Nine stuff too. Uh, he wasn't like all about the Nine in the way that some people were, but he was Correct. definitely yes. like privy to it and present for it. Yeah. Um, so hmm. yes, and so some of a, some other. Sarfati friends and acquaintances and co-workers are Ira Einhorn 
Oh my God! Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. He. That uh-huh. is a weird story. I forget the, the. I remember the murder case uh, in what Philadelphia in like 1979. The Unicorn Killer sure is what they called him. People are like their own episode, basically. Like, yeah. Oh, they are. They. Yeah, I mean, wow. This is really a rogues yeah. gallery. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm not even halfway through the list. So there's Phil. Okay. K. Yeah. Let's go. Oh, Phil K. Dick. <laughs> really, Phil K. Dick. With. Obviously, like the whole Velas thing, and yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Uh huh. Then there's oh, Carlos wow. Castaneda. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop. And then there's Barbara Honiger, who no, yeah, I, no. I, I shut came across up. that as well. Are you serious? He made Contra, some crazy baby. remarks about Barbara Honiger in the essay that I read, which uh, stuck out to me. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought her up uh, because, uh, wow. yeah, according to Sarfati, uh, Barbara, I guess, had a strange encounter with Brendan O'Regan uh, in which the trans medium Ingo Swan spoke with a cold metallic voice and said it was a computer from 100 years into the future, mm-hmm. just like, you know, the same conscious computer thing. I'm a computer from the future, you know. Uh, yep. Yeah, um, but he wow. didn't really like uh, Barbara Honiger because she was critical of Reagan uh, eventually, you know, and uh, he said, knowing Barbara, I do not think she is consciously lying, but perhaps has been misled. She is quite idealistic, but naive. Um, yeah, he was upset because she said Reaganites were unfair to women and also because of the October <laughs> Surprise thing. I hear, so Sarfati wow. so now has become like kind of like a, you know, reactionary. Uh, not that he wasn't necessarily before, but he's like, you know, now and out and out type. Like, I'm, you know, concerned about like all the old bug, all the standard bugbears of like cancel culture or whatever, you know, like. Uh, Interesting. Just, like, I, I also noticed just as a little side note in terms of like what he's up to today. Again, he's like quite uh, he's quite up there in years. But I noticed on YouTube there's like a. Uh, video of him talking uh, either about or on behalf of something called the Space Studies Institute, which is a which was a nonprofit founded in 1977 by uh, Professor Gerard O'Neill. If anybody's ever seen like the O'Neill Sphere drawings of like space colonies, like orbiting the Earth um, that like rotate like a big cylinder, that was him. And Quite interestingly, they are headquartered. They used to be in Princeton, but now they're headquartered in Mojave, California. I've been to Mojave before. That is like, there's nothing out there. It's like a desert town, but there's like a bunch of aerospace stuff and like space stuff out there. And it's like very remote. You know, there's a lot of meth and poverty and like these kind of like sus airfields that I guess they're still using for things like this um and you know they're all about like cutting edge like mining asteroids and you know going to mars and you know orbital space colonies etc etc so he's like still in the game on some level um today i guess for sure he's got ties uh sarfati's got ties also just to the esalen institute specifically the Mm -hmm. physics research group attached to it the the yeah. project called Hundred Year Starship, like a bunch of these weird things. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. I noticed that somebody uh, from that that physics group. Uh, I found like a really old blog spot called Destiny Matrix, and there's like an email <laughs> thread from Sarfati. And I just want to mention like it's one little thing that they said. They wrote this in 2006. Uh, Saul, Paul, and Mary Min Sirag. I think Sirag was from the uh, 
the fundamental physics group. Uh, but mm-hmm. they basically wrote, Jack, in 1976, you and I visited Walter Breen at Marion Zimmer Bradley's house on Deacon Street in Berkeley. She gave us each a copy of her latest novel, The Heritage of Hastor. This is a few months after the month-long workshop we did at Esalen, January 1976. You had Walter Breen come down to Big Sur for a few days. He brought along recorded music to play and demonstrate the psychological effects of different pieces of music. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Walter Breen, we'll get to him in a second, uh, yeah. quite a character to be hanging out with uh, all, like, well into adulthood in the 1970s at Esalen, because, uh, like, talk about pedos. Um, this guy, well, yeah, <laughs> we can we can get to him, but, like, I, I was pretty shocked. I didn't actually know about Walter Breen, but, uh, mm-hmm. yes, that uh, that ties back into, like, I guess it wasn't considered that weird in the 1950s to have a convicted pedophile be running a uh, gifted kids program in New York City that was connected with the Sandia Laboratory, which is like an offshoot of Lockheed Martin, right? Nothing weird about that, right? Mm-mm. <laughs> also, one last thing. <laughs> one yeah. person who went to school with Sarfati at Cornell was a one Mr. Thomas Pinchon. No. Oh my god. I thought about him Here's when the, he said he went to Cornell. Here's the thing. Wow. Uh Sarfati does not act like he was friends with him. He doesn't say they were friends, unlike mm-hmm. all the other people who he says were friends or, you know, co-workers. But he did mm-hmm. say I was there at Cornell with Thomas Pinchon. Holy shit. Pretty nuts. Holy shit. Pretty nuts. Yeah. Add that to the list of what did Pynchon see <laughs> in what the Ivy League know? in his young years. What did he know? What was he exposed to? Mm-hmm. That is very Going bizarre. This the, guy... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Going into the Walter Breen thing and, like, the gifted kid stuff, one thing that I noticed uh, in the one, you know, Shaq Sarfati article that I read, he was talking about, you know, doing a Birkbeck test of Yuri Geller, um, uh, which I guess, you know, uh, was done uh, maybe at Esalen, but definitely, like, uh, in that kind of California environment. I'm pretty sure uh, it was actually at Esalen. Uh, but uh, they were doing a test of Yuri Geller, and one of the people who showed up um, was Arthur C. Clarke, um, and I guess he came there with a high official from Rolls-Royce, but that was interesting to me because one of the things that I thought about uh, in reading, you know, your thread and uh, thinking about these topics was the book by Arthur C. Clarke, Childhood, Ti- Childhood's End, which mm. actually uh, Sarfati mentions in the footnotes, but like, the premise of that book is basically that, like, aliens that look like demons, like, come to Earth and, like, uh, they help, like, the children to, like, undergo this telepathic awakening because, like, the children you know, are special and the adults like aren't included. And, uh, you know, it's this sort of weird, uh, thing pitting the parents against their own kids as the kids kind of undergo this evolution. There was a movie and there's like, yeah, a I remember that coming out a few years ago. Those kids. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I don't like yeah. that, man. I don't like, that. I don't like yeah, it either. That's uh, us. I don't like it. That's basically like kind of, it's interesting. Cause especially when we talk about what we strive a little bit later as like, <clears> uh, someone who maybe is a, another paradigm of this type of thing, uh, the whole that whole idea of like the the specialness of children, the way they're like tuned in to this kind of like uh, advancement, this sort of psychic advancement, you know, uh, and uh, Walter Breen being in Namble and all that stuff. Like, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and you know, like Breen is all tied up in the sci-fi community, man. Like the sci-fi, yeah. Uh, like the major authors keep popping up in all of this too. Like uh, that, they were into some weird stuff as well. 
<laughs> yeah, I actually didn't realize that Walter Breen was married to uh, uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley for like 30 or 26 years, I guess. Man, like, I, I thought they knew each other quite. Books at school. Like, yeah, the Mists of Avalon. Everybody, I feel like everybody knows that. Like the Mists of Avalon. Yeah, that's more like yeah Arthurian kind of fantasy fiction. But I guess she was very close with Philip K. Dick. I mean, they were all in the East Bay together, right? You know, always coming back to the East mm-hmm. Bay. But I believe uh, Philip K. Dick was living up in Richmond for a while. Kind of a random place to live in the '60s and '70s for like this white guy author. Uh, she was living. She and Walter Breen were living in Berkeley. And I guess they were all kind of part of like the same scene. You had people like Arthur C. Clarke popping in and out, and uh, and then they were all going down to the Esalen Institute, you know, uh, doing uh, I don't God knows what. Uh, but it is interesting. I mean, Marion Zimmer Bradley, even on her Wikipedia page, it's pretty. It seems to be pretty accepted. Uh, like I'm not that familiar with her biography, but that you know that the allegations against her from her children of child sexual abuse and rape were probably credible and also for enabling her husband who of course was like a convicted pedophile going back to the 50s and seemed to be okay with him abusing children so it's oh my god you know they they don't call it berserkly for nothing <laughs> <laughs> all right let me let me rein it back to the god phone real quick to wrap that yeah. Part oh up. yeah yeah <laughs> all right sure. just because this is crucial okay Sarfati okay. was asked in an interview uh, what what was up with the god phone and actually bizarrely they note that they don't explain why but this interview Sarfati's giving yuri geller's son is there with him and it doesn't there i don't know why he would be there but he's like talking in the interview with Sarfati. I don't understand it. But anyway, Sarfati is asked, what's up with the God phone? And Sarfati says, quote, it's one of two things. Either it was what it says it was, or it was a government program. Take your choice. I mean, given everything else, it sounds like it's a government project. They're still playing mm-hmm. psychological games on these kids quite possibly. So that's the most likely explanation, unquote. <laughs> wow. So there it wow. is. So he said that it was probably a government program. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this kind of a little bit before, like in some of our UFO episodes. Like, uh, I do wonder, like, maybe they do these government programs, but do they, like, believe in it? You know, is it kind of like a noble lie in a way where, like, uh, you know, yeah, we have to create the illusion. Uh, you know, we have to give the proof to the people. You know, but this actually is what we think is true that we want to realize, like, this super, you know, uh, it seems like, I don't know, yeah, it's very odd that, like, someone who is so committed to these ideas would then be like, yeah, it's a government program and not, you know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I mean, why, I, don't... I mean, who knows why he would be willing to say that, though. It does seem obviously that, that that's probably true, <laughs> that this, yeah, this was some kind of government program. Like, as best I can tell from reading way too much of that guy's memoirs and he has a second book that i've also at least skimmed which is called sarfati's illuminati in the thick of it <laughs> like as far okay. as i can tell this guy tells the truth but he will do it in such an elliptical way and i honestly i don't think he lies but i don't believe anything he says like mm-hmm. you know 100 percent like he's always either got some weird angle or like he's confounding 
Yeah, I, I would I would tend to put him in a kind of category with a lot of these far out physicist types like Russell Targ and mm. uh, people of that nature that you really or even maybe like Jacques Vallée uh, as well. Somebody who, uh, you know, I, I don't think even if they, they say something that like happens to be true, I don't trust kind of an, on a large you know, on a more meta scale, like where they're kind of what they're up to, like. You know, even if they're dropping yes. a little like nugget of truth, like why are they dropping it there? Because they don't seem really committed to giving up the game or anything like that. But, you know, it's still, you know, it's like you hear Russell Targ talking about remote viewing and like how well it worked. And like, yeah, absolutely. And like I do all kinds of private research with like, you know, billionaires pay me. And uh, we like kind of a gamed the stock market and almost cornered silver in like 1985. But then uh, like our powers got fucked with. I don't know. There's all kinds of weird stuff like that. And, you know, you just you, you end up scratching your head and not knowing, you know, how many layers are how many layers are there to like this psyop? Are they being psyop? You know, it's like also with like Timothy Leary at a certain point. Like, did they kind of like get to him? Because he was babbling on about some kind of God computer alien thing floating around. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, this is like a very common uh, line of uh, of of revelation among these types of figures this is a crazy uh little tidbit for you dimitri uh he's talking this is actually from i guess an earlier article that had the same title as the book uh that i guess uh, jimmy skimmed uh, about sarfati's called sarfati's illuminati in the thick of it uh the same one from my net journal um but uh yeah he uh was talking about john c Lyley, kind of what we've talked about in the past on, mm -hmm. on the show where uh you know, he had this contact with the the Echo uh, being, you know, the basically mm -hmm. a conscious computer from the future, solid state intelligence, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was, it was more nefarious in his formulation. But uh, so he says, uh, the kind of world Lily describes is the world that I am arguing for in this book. Lily was a close friend of the great physicist, the late Richard Feynman. Lily was at Esalen when high-ranking Soviet officials were there. To what extent oh, no. have the events leading to the fall of the Soviet state been caused by the Esalen drug experiences of Soviet leaders? Both Yeltsin oh, no. and Gorbachev are closely tied to Esalen, as is Werner Erhard. Uh, you know, uh, and he goes on to mention uh, like the importance of Esalen in the neoconservative movement. Uh, this is the same Esalen that gave seminars by an alleged disincarnate group of extraterrestrials called the Nine. Uh, you know, and he goes on to talk about that and uh you know jim garrison who was the partner of daniel sheehan and daniel sheehan himself you know and all these people uh their connections yeah but uh so that's something he leans on pretty hard in this in this article is the idea that uh this is like uh something that was like a uh, weaponized against the soviet union actually mm -hmm. uh that they sort of invited these late soviet leaders there to do something uh to work on them in some way yeah, and, and that's something that's been known for a long time. Uh, it's not exactly clear to what extent. I know that Yeltsin, before he became you know Russian president, I think in sometime in the mid to late 80s, he went there on an excellence. He went came to America on an excellent sponsored uh, trip to go around the country and he claims that he was uh he had almost like an ecstatic experience inside of a supermarket i think i mentioned this in a recent episode in, in a supermarket in houston and he realized like the bounty and the glory of like american capitalism and how horrible like soviet uh, supermarket is and how and he like started crying and then decided that he was a capitalist or something and you know uh i think one time a very long time ago uh going back to crypto cuttlefish i think they made a kind of joke about 
like uh yeltsin getting recruited uh to become a capitalist like in a hot tub like it has at esalen <laughs> and it makes you wonder though like what else did they do and did they give him some like lst and like basically tell him about you know uh the alien god machine wants him to be a capitalist or something you know who the hell knows like what uh they could have done to psyop either gorby or yeltsin uh with the amount of tools they had in their toolkit in terms of like psyoping people but that's very interesting yeah yeah um so So. (laughs) yeah just so many tentacles so many tentacles with this crowd do you want to talk a little bit about walter breen uh a little bit more uh, just uh, kind of break down like because going back to the gifted before he was an esalen star uh, he was in new york right and yeah so basically like i said this in on the opperman show like looking at sarfati and then especially breen it's like when you you're in a forest and you lift up a log and there's just like beetles and worms and all these <laughs> just insects and you're just like what the fuck yeah like okay so basically after this god phone call sarfati gets recruited by a child musical prodigy to be in a group that sarfati calls merlin's super kids which merlin that's probably tied to the marion zimmer yeah. thing but mm-hmm. basically, this was an after-school study group of gifted kids. Where was the after-school program held? In Walter Breen's apartment. Uh. In the words of Dimitri, cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. And and to be clear, this guy had already been, like, arrested and convicted for sexually abusing a child, right? That is correct. So, okay then. Okay. Let, like, let's get into Walter Breen here real quick. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> like, it, I encourage people to look up a picture of Walter Breen. He looks like a American Rasputin or something. He is a freak. <laughs> uh, oh right. my God! So. Wait. Oh, is that Sarfati? No, you're right. He does look like. Wow, he does look like somebody that founded Nambla. Um, yes. He has that kind of <laughs> Ginsburg at a similar kind of aesthetic. Has the same look as Ginsburg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Uh, that, what is that sus pendant that he's wearing? I'm looking at in, uh, <laughs> on Alcatron, yeah. Free Social Encyclopedia. Can you see what it is? Uh, it's, it's not a very high there. res. Because when I I, I got it picture. when I googled Walter Breen Esselin one of the coins yeah. uh, that he was he was like a big numismatist right like he was like super yeah. he like codified like uh the standard like notation of like american coins right yeah. like uh get, that was get this okay i don't i didn't even know really what new numismatists are i mean i knew that there were like coin freaks mm-hmm. <laughs> right and that it yeah. like coin collecting mm-hmm. is a whole thing but in the coin collecting world there's a thing that measures rarity of coins and it's called the sheldon breen scale and it Mm. rates how rare coins are now they just call it the sheldon scale but (laughs) this basically walter breen and this other guy sheldon breen developed it together and the two of them wrote like more than one book but like one of the books is just like the gold standard for like looking up a rare coin and seeing what it's worth like wow. he was like one of the two top guys basically 
in this world. Yeah, that that's pretty. And I think as Opperman brought up that there's all kinds of kind of shady business that can go on in kind of the rare coin world, you know, just as there can be in like the rare, uh, you know, rare gems or, you know, uh, yeah, any yeah. kind of thing or like or art world, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could have the same kind of uh, concepts of money laundering that you would have with like uh, postmodern art or like NFT, like audio sex tapes or any other thing like that <laughs> that, you know, gets used. Uh, that, that seems to be very popular, uh, uh, you know, to this well, day. But, you know, coins are a big deal. So get this while we're out just on the coin aspect. So Sarfati said Breen was funded by his coin dealing, but also by one of the four founders of Texas Instruments with OSS connections. I remember I remember hearing that, and it really jumped out at me. The first name that popped into my head, uh, which like might be totally inaccurate, but it made me think of Ross Perot. I don't think he was actually was he involved with Texas Instruments, or was it a similar company in Texas that? Uh, no, I'm he did electronic sure. data systems. Yeah, no, actually, Texas Instrument, I mean, obviously a big military contractor and kind of uh, a lot of connections. I wonder who, there were four founders, Cecil Green, J. Eric Johnson, Eugene McDermott, and Patrick Haggerty. So it had to be one of those people, I assume. Check this out. It's got to be, because Sarfati said it was through this guy, William Herbert Sheldon, who was the Sheldon of the Sheldon Breen scale. And Mm. real quick... Not to bring up a whole other freak, but this William Sheldon guy, he, like, okay, you know how, like, if you, I don't know, are, like, into bodybuilding, and you're, like, okay, like, there are body types, endomorphic, mesomorphic, or ectomorphic. Mm -hmm. He invented that, even though it's basically bunk. Oh. Mm, That's interesting, because, you know, of course, he was, like, the, Walter Breen was, like, the co-founder of NAMBLA. And he also wrote a book, like, under a pseudonym called Greek Love. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so it's, like, kind of this, uh, like, uh, philosophical, like, platonic uh, version of, like, pederasty, you know, that he's into, like, making it into some kind of intellectual thing. He was kind of like the original, like, Bronze Age pervert in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like the Sheldon guy even more so. <laughs> well, uh, get get like, this. This Sheldon guy, he basically made these fake categories by taking photographs and measurements of nude college students at ivy league schools and like whoa basically they shut it down because they were just like what are you doing this isn't like a real thing (laughs) and it's like this that reminds me a lot of uh of kinsey and kinsey's Uh research where it came out decades later they're like oh actually he was just interviewing one pedophile the entire time and that's like the entire like sample size of like his entire research which is just like uh children like love uh, love being sexual and like they want to do it like when they're three years old like this is their favorite thing in the world uh published okay you know like what the fuck like you know huh like that's the thing this sheldon guy that like coins and the stupid mesomorphic body types aren't even his main thing. He was a psychologist. That was what he was known for. Hmm. And he freaking taught at like freaking Harvard, man. He taught at Harvard and Columbia. So like, wow. Anyway, back to brain. Sorry. Uh, 
Very, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to say, I wasn't able, it doesn't seem like any of these four founders of Texas Instruments are listed as having specifically uh, been in the OSS during World War II. They did, quote, they all of them did various, like, electronics work during the war, but it is just a, a little interesting to point out that one of the founders, John Eric Johnson, uh, became, uh, in 1964, shortly after the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, Johnson became the mayor of Dallas. So, hmm. Mm. Cool, you know, maybe a little cleanup crew kind of action there. Um, One of these days, I'm going to figure out which of the four founders it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can't be. I'm sure if we dove hard enough, uh, you'd be able to yeah. figure it out. But still, this guy had like real sponsorship, and much like uh, a little bit like Epstein, his predilections didn't seem to get in the way of a very lucrative and uh, celebrated career with the, some of the leading mm -hmm. lights of the American intelligentsia, right? <laughs> So get this. So Walter Breen, coin expert, science fiction author, mm -hmm. pretty like he knew all the science fiction authors because back then everybody knew everybody. He was uh, supposedly maybe the first uh, U.S. member of Mensa, which is, there's the whole gifted angle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just weird. And then he was one of the founding members of Nambula. He was in other groups relating to pederasty mm -hmm. and like you said he was convicted of child molestation in 1954 so as of running that program he would have already been a convicted pedophile unbelievable and i mean and yeah, yeah. go ahead <laughs> no 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 yeah gotta continue well basically he was also breen was also closely involved with the ayn rand crowd Ah, and yes. you know who yeah. else was floating yeah, around that. that crowd at the same time? Obviously, there was Alan Greenspan, which is yes, I was going to say him. <laughs> but Robert Anton Wilson, who is from Flatbush, uh. <laughs> and he was in that same milieu. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mr. Illuminatus himself. Huh. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. This is a very tight circle. We're starting to see uh, the little yeah. name hits on this episode. Gives me, like discordian vibes for sure. Like mm -hmm. I could totally see him being into that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, okay. There also was now you, you did. I remember you brought up on Opperman a little bit about Oswald, but it, it's kind of more about like various like tangential connections to the, JFK assassination milia in general. So uh, with Breen, there wasn't anything directly with Breen, or was there? Besides, the, uh, I mean, Texas Instruments a little bit. Hmm, but So there was a weird thing with Sarfati, that Sarfati, for some reason, like, it's not a normal thing for kids in Brooklyn to be in, but Sarfati was in the Civil Air Patrol. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, which I think you're right. Like, not pretty. Ri it's not like there's a bunch of open like airfields in Brooklyn in like the 1940s or 50. I mean, I guess maybe unless he was like a teenager during World War Two, would he have been? Um. So he would have been. This would have been like basically the 50s. So it would have been okay. okay. Kind of late for that, you know. But like, I think yeah, you're thing. right. In in his memoirs, there are pictures of him as a, like, basically a young boy, in an airplane with a guy, like he was like act like multiple pictures of him. So he was definitely in the Civil Air Patrol. Now, yeah, I yeah. don't know, 
like you guys probably know, but maybe not every listener to the show knows what's <laughs> what's going on with the Civil Air Patrol. <laughs> no, what, yeah, but yeah, why don't you why don't you tell them? <laughs> in in short, like the shortened version is the Civil Air Patrol is pretty famous among real JFK assassination heads because mm-hmm. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald was in a Civil Air Patrol unit with a guy named David Ferry, who, if mm-hmm. anyone has seen the JFK movie, that's who Joe Pesci plays, and it's like the best yep. role in the movie. Yep. And <laughs> it, is, also, it is. It's pretty great. So yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald, David Ferry, who is... He comes up again and again in a bunch of ways with the yep. assassination investigation. And then and, uh, Mr. Mr. Smuggler's Blues himself, right? Barry, Barry Seal. That's right. Barry they Seal. all knew each other. Mm-hmm. There's a picture that came out at like later that shows them all together. <laughs> Was that a picture of Oswald, Seal, and Ferry together? Yeah, and, a bu- and some other kids as well. Wow. And, yeah. Uh, was it in, in front like, of the an Walter airplane. Breen? Was it in the Walter Breen run, like uh, Super Kids, where they would be talking about like? Because uh, I remember you mentioned like uh, I think on Offerman about how they would like be talking about like how UFOs might fly and things like that, like how their anti gravity like might work. Like, is that what they? Uh, you know, is that, was that what it was in this? Was it in the Super Kids thing or the Merlin Kids type? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, as far as I yeah, can tell, the Civil Air, air Patrol was... Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Because, like, I, I don't believe that the Super Kids were also in the Air Patrol. I don't know if that mm. was... You know, I, he didn't really write that much about it. It's just one of those, like, weird things. And mm-hmm. so, basically, with the Civil Air Patrol, the theory that is fairly well substantiated, because David Ferry was also a convicted pedophile. Yeah. And yeah. the theory that a lot of people have is that he probably groomed, molested, and or groomed in multiple ways Lee Harvey Oswald, and possibly mm. even Barry Seal. My God. Mm. Yeah. Basically, I mean. <laughs> this weird pedophile spy network also doing crime. Like, I don't know, man. But yeah, like, yeah. That makes sense in a way, because, like, you know, I remember one of the the big details about Epstein that I remember was that he had like that Amazon receipt that they found that had all these like books about like, uh, you know, how to manage like your S and M slave or whatever, mm-hmm. or, like the guide to S and M slavery and like all these weird books about that stuff. And it's, it's interesting cause it really, it is like a whole like a uh, system, like in the, like the leather community and like all that stuff where like you, mm-hmm. it's part of like this whole grooming process. It is kind of like this weird ritualized, almost like, uh, quote unquote like ancient Greek type thing where like you have to like molest your apprentice to like truly you know if you want to become a master or whatever you got to get like molested first you know it's like uh, this whole bizarre yeah, that, that uh, does seem to be what they're gesturing towards when they continuously invoke like Greek Greek this Greek that it's not just yeah. the, uh, the sex itself but like this kind of uh, uh, the style of like, yeah, relationship of like an, a young apprentice and everything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, even um, I think recently Camille Poglia, some quote resurfaced of her defending Nambla in the early 90s and talking about how the Greeks what? used to do it. Uh, the, the Greeks had a beautiful system like thousands of years ago. And it's just because people today can't get. Yeah, she really went out hard for Nambla in like the early what? 90s. I had no idea. But, you know, it's like it's really shocking. Um, but you do see. 
a commonality with like various figures that we've done entire episodes on like i'm immediately thinking of larry king and mark collins rector and kind of like their ability to act i mean it's also um i i also heard uh ed opperman say this recently where he was kind of like poo-pooing the notion of like like mk ultra like singers and like celebrities like that um and how basically like if you've ever been aware of kind of the dynamics of like street life and like pimping and things like that there's plenty of people that kind of achieve a form of like mind control and sexual exploitation over somebody without being like part of like a cia program like there's there are techniques basically that predate the cia of kind of like social interpersonal manipulation and so but i actually don't think those things are like like mutually exclusive like just because it could just be a pimp doesn't mean that like there's nothing like because if those if those things are so easy to do that like a pimp on you know las vegas boulevard could do it who you know dropped out of high school and doesn't isn't a gifted child or anything then if you tried to like you know uh amp that up or like systematize it into like a method or you know it's like fritz springmeyer says like the un- undetectable <laughs> method of creating a total mind control slave or whatever like i mean we, uh, like you mentioned uh you know in the, in that other interview like the nazis brought over a lot of scientists who were doing human experimentation and they brought a lot of them to san antonio and there were a lot of them mangala mangala got down to south america you know there was like a lot of stuff and we know that they were that they're in terms of boundaries, like they were kind of willing to like try just about anything if it gave them a competitive advantage. So, you know, is there what was is there kind of a model that's like being repeated over the decades here, you know, and then going and then Epstein's just the latest iteration of it, you know, and yeah, no, like absolutely, like they were the CIA, like obviously they sent people like agents to magician schools to clown schools mm-hmm. to sleight of hand schools yeah. like they were looking mm-hmm. at pimping for sure yeah the magic hassle in la and uh Mul- i think his name is uh, i want to say john mulholland not the mulholland the drive is named after but like he was a very famous stage magician who admitted to like working for the oss and then the cia teaching them sleight of hand and other things like that like that's always been uh yeah Isn't that's always like been Florida intertwined pt barnum clown school that like some cia people went to uh yeah as there was. talked about yeah right mm-hmm. in the same place where the the uh 9-11 pilots flew i think was i, his, I his just point. i yeah. just just watched that Daniel Hopsicker documentary on that. <laughs> oh, is there really a documentary on it? He made a documentary. Yeah, it's like it was something like the Venice flying. Like it looks at both the flight school and then also like the stupid clown school that's in the same that's town. That's great. Oh, that, wow. Wow. That, wow. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, the the, the clown school, there was such, you know, the Barnums are all masons, etc. um but and, and yeah, and like as we've talked about with Aquino, like the gifted child, his mother being a gifted child at Stanford in like the 1910s. Like, this isn't just something that, and I, I think, what did we talk about? Uh, Jimmy, you haven't heard the ep we did yet on George Estabrooks, the uh, the psychologist who was an expert in hypnotism. <clears throat> but I think one of the things we tried to, like, uh, drive home in that episode was how, like, this, I don't think this just came from the Nazis after the war, or the, even the Japanese, for that matter, that there were programs in the United States that were pursuing certain lines like these for kind of in a variety of ways 
uh, in the really in like a couple of the decades leading up to World War II, including like hypnotically programming couriers or, you know, inducing amnesia through hypnosis or whatever they were doing at Stanford with all those eugenics obsessed people. The people, the people he was given to work with, you know, when they finally like, yeah, OK, you can do a program, you know, uh, the people that he was given to work with were like juvenile delinquents. Uh, you know, like young offenders uh, were the ones. Oh, that's that right, Esther Books. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But this is very much the opposite. And yeah, I mean, it also it does serve as a talent farming system. I guess if we want to put our rational skeptic hats on, we could say that, well, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, this big program in New York was run by a convicted pedophile, but maybe they just missed it. And, uh, you know, it really was probably just about maximizing the potential of these kids and, you know, uh, giving opportunities to them. Right. Well, but yeah, I suspect maybe mm, uh, there's something yeah, more going on like- here. Yeah, well, maybe after, I guess we should take a break, but after that, I think it was definitely good to bring in, like, the other guy who uh, Jimmy brought up in his thread, which is uh, Whitley Stryber, as someone who uh, also has, like, uh, experiences that kind of resonate in the same mm-hmm. domain, uh, because, like, reading some of his stuff, like, you get a very interesting uh, perspective on it uh, that's even, like... It's very much not like Skeptic Hat uh, and like very uh, even beyond, you know, uh, the, the uh, terrestrial or the mundane uh, conspiracy domain. Like uh, there's some very hmm. bizarre ideas circulating around in his talk of like the secret school and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, but uh, it does at the same time dovetail uh, very much with like uh, the Sarfati's experiences and the, the Merlin Super Kids type things. The great thing about the Vocal Artist Program is that no matter what you're looking toward, there is definitely a place for you to really grow and become better. I want to do opera personally, but I also get to experience the choral music and I get to see the other sides of what other people are doing, and it just helps you grow. The power of the teachers here is they can see in you what you might not see in yourself and they just take the key and unlock the door to everything that you could have thought about your singing voice. You never know what you have until you've had it unlocked for you. One of the things you'll find is this is a very caring faculty. They're very experienced, many from universities. They're excellent teachers. They're caring teachers. They're imaginative teachers. You're not going to be like, oh, my feelings. What are these feelings? What's going on? They take your voice and they work with it, and they're constantly telling you, don't try to be something else. And I don't have to do some big aria to be impressive with my voice. I just have to show off what I can do. And I like that a lot. I think students are surprised sometimes by what they discover about themselves in being here and, and as, their, as their musical and vocal eyes are open to all the experiences. And to watch them grow over the six weeks, it's really quite amazing. Jimmy, did you wanna did do you wanna wrap up on some stuff with Breen? For sure. So mm-hmm. I'll do some quick facts about Breen and then wrap up Sarfati uh, and then compare him to Epstein. So, real quick here. Breen, according to Sarfati, 
Breen believed himself to be the Lindbergh baby, which real <laughs> Dave McGowan heads know the implication of that. I'm not uh-huh. advocating this. It's just something that Sarfati says. <laughs> Very um, interesting. That is interesting, yes. Uh, huh. Too many implications. Okay. <laughs> um, Breen did appear to be an orphan, and he would have been the right age to be the Lindbergh baby. Breen wow. grew up in a wow. variety of orphanages, which, ding, 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 if you think about certain, yeah. you know, Franklin-type uh-huh. things. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, I definitely want to touch on that uh, connection that you drew, uh, <laughs> because that kind of blew my mind as well, like the origins of Boys Town, where, of course, Charles Manson spent... Uh, a couple formative years, uh, according to one old news article, and yeah, I, I mean, do you want to go into that? Yeah, let me. What was that so, connection? Because I, I it, okay. it flew by fast, so I didn't quite like catch all of it. But there was like a there was like an orphanage group that. Uh, sorry, you can probably explain it yeah. uh, better. <laughs> Real quick here, so basically, Lee Harvey Oswald, when he went down to Mexico, he met with this guy. <laughs> who is very spooky, named, uh, let's see, basically John Bowen. He had various aliases, but this guy was of the same denomination as Aleister Crowley's parents. And Mm. he had been a director of a, quote, fascist, like, boys camp in Tennessee. And he Mm. was fired because he was a pedophile. And then he was in Mexico. The theory, and it's disputed, it's not proven, was that he was in Mexico running a secret special school for kids. And Lee Harvey Oswald, as the story goes, in the Warren Commission, did meet with him. But there's not every part of the story is completely fleshed out. But there is that connection there. And, oh, and so the... Basically, the camp that this Bowen guy, who did officially exist, he did officially get fired for being a pedophile, Mm -hmm. that is the same group that closed down that camp and started a new one. That's right. Boys Town. Wow. Wow. You know, of the Franklin connection. And, of course, Charles Franklin, you know, lived there for a time. So actually, so just unpack that real quick. So you're saying that Howard Bowen eventually went to Omaha. He was originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, but he eventually wound up in Omaha and was one of the founders of Boys Town? So the organization that he was working for in Tennessee went to Omaha and set up Boys Town. He, as far oh, as I can okay. tell, was not actually involved. He, I guess, was in Mexico doing... Lord knows what, even the Warren Commission doesn't want to look into it, but most yeah, of the info that yeah. I have is from the Warren Commission, so it's, like, at least technically true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see here, there's an old article in archive.org uh, from, by a guy named Bill Childrish. It's, like, horribly formatted, but it's probably from yeah. a long time ago. It says that uh, other FBI reports established that Osborne, that's his real name, I guess, mm-hmm. um, 
that Osborne uh, had that he was the man who sat behind beside Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of President Kennedy, on his mysterious bus ride to Mexico City two months before Kennedy was slain in Dallas. Yeah, so that's like very very weird. Uh, so okay, so what you're saying, just to be clear, so you're saying the organization that had hired this pedophile that was mm-hmm. basically running a fascist boys' camp. Uh, he got kind of, he was the the proverbial bad apple that got fired and kicked out and mm-hmm. then perhaps as a result of that scandal they moved to a different part of the country and then set up Boys Town. Now were these people That's Catholics? Correct. Were they Catholic? Yeah, uh, so, or you're saying that yeah, how, how did the Catholics get involved if these people were from the church that Alistair Crowley's parents belonged to in England? So the organization was the Campfire Council, and the camp was known as Boysville. And okay. when the camp was shut down, they the organization relocated to Nebraska and started Boys Town. Mm. Now okay. he, yeah. this Bowen guy, uh, Osborne, whatever his name, you know, he he has both names. He in the U.S. he referred to himself as Baptist, but. A, as the story goes, he was actually a minister of the Plymouth Brethren, which is Alistair Crowley's parents' sect. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that Interesting. church keeps popping up in other places. I mean, I, I won't go into a it. Huge but... influence on American evangelicalism, like in general, like mm-hmm. uh, the Plymouth Brethren, and yeah. Wow. Well, wow. yep. so that's uh, so that means that Boys Town could have been. It wasn't just when Larry King showed up in like the late seventies that they started to be sus, <laughs> basically. Uh, and I guess even even from like John DeCamp's book, he talked about interviewing older people that had gone there in like the fifties and sixties, uh, or you know maybe even going back to like the thirties and forties, like when Charles Manson was there. And saying that, like, they were all much like, you know, British boarding schools or whatever, almost like it was a rite of passage to get abused by other kids there. And I remember, wasn't there like a shocking statistic when they did a kind of audit uh, a little bit later on that uh, it was I forget how they got to this number, but it was like maybe like one in four of the staffers at Boys Town in like the 1950s was a pedophile. I think I had read that, and I think yeah. I had heard something about Charles Manson having a bunch of really, really bad experiences in multiple mm-hmm. places he was at, to be fair. And then if you think about it, like, uh, Charles Manson went on to become, among many other things, like, uh, the way a lot of people do describe him is, like, underneath all the pomp and hippie circumstance and the, the dark prophet, whatever, uh, he was basically a pimp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's I mean, he could have picked that up in all kinds of places. But again, it kind of it's an interesting synchronicity with like all like because I mean, you you really could throw him uh, or maybe somebody like Vito Pelikas as well, for that matter, maybe even Frank Zappa uh, into the same kind of a broad category of like these Epstein, Larry King, Mark Collins, Rector, like toxic guru sort of pimp people that hobnob with like very high echelons of society or walter breen or walter breen yeah exactly yeah <laughs> no. yeah um, so, so yeah get that get this about walter breen and marion zimmer bradley get this they were both wandering bishops Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, why don't you explain to people who maybe who aren't total JFK heads, like what the hell is a wandering bishop? 
because yeah i cut my teeth on jfk so like that's my mm -hmm. this is my background so when i see that i'm just like what the fuck hold okay. up <laughs> wandering bishops also known as like episcopi vagantes they they have like a long history but basically they are people who either invent their own church and name themselves bishops or will basically join a church that doesn't really have a congregation or get ordained by an existing mostly paper church basically in the words of peter lavenda the sus lord himself many of the people <laughs> who do this are quote janitors criminals or the borderline insane and still others were intelligence agents unquote hmm. and it's basically mm -hmm. this subterranean world of spooks and spies and weirdos who basically just trade their priesthoods and there's like lineages that they can trace and a lot of real freaks were wandering bishops like we're talking david ferry the mm -hmm. jfk likely you know one of the co-conspirators who probably freaking killed him uh mm -hmm. hakeem bay was oh my god of course bishop. of yeah. course uh, yeah Temp there, mr yeah. taz himself uh i didn't realize he claimed to be a bishop because he's isn't he supposed to be muslim uh i mean <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. claim him but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah right, also right. big yeah big burning man big influence on burning man and uh definitely i think uh, was he in i don't know if he was in nambla but he definitely advocated for yeah. pedophilia he, he, he was really <laughs> the same type of thing where it's like it were uh you know intellectual pedophilia you know because there's that whole thing of like homosocial love like in sufism so he was like mm. all about like making that about like oh it's okay for me to have sex with young boys uh and, you know uh yeah. yeah so like a lot of these wandering bishop churches are things like there's a bunch of churches and but a lot of them are like the american catholic church or the american eastern orthodox church Right. Mm, yeah, so these I've are basically those, yeah. churches that don't exist functionally. They don't have congregations. So Marion Zimmer Bradley and Walter Breen were both ordained in the American Eastern Orthodox Church by a one Bishop Michael Eitken, which mm -hmm. would place them in the same fake line of apostolic secession as David Ferry. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wonderful. Uh, so bizarre so and yeah <laughs> Sorry, so basically separately both uh breen and marion zimmer bradley were in the society for creative anachronisms i don't know if you guys know about that no i haven't uh, heard of that yeah, what is that that's like a ren fair type thing kind of like yeah. uh, they oh like we're back to ren fairs and... now oh god mm -hmm. okay uh, yeah mm -hmm. so other people that were into that shit were like robert anton wilson Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, Carrie course. Thornley, and oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Carrie Thornley, who did not uh, <laughs> believe that there was a conspiracy, but everything didn't make sense anymore. The end. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy. I remember him. Um, yeah, Adam Curtis really, really dug deep on that biography. Sorry, got a little <laughs> triggered. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Okay, so Carrie Thornley was also big in the like, run fair separately just the organization itself sort of like the boy scouts in general they had to pay a hefty settlement because of a sex scandal involving underage kids if you just look up the wikipedia page you can see the details of it so and this was like mm. in the 90s or something so it's just like what's going on here man 
Yeah, I yeah. Guess, uh, I am looking at it Akin right Bay, now. For the record, did write some poems. I assume he was in Nambla because he wrote like some poems for for Nambla. You know, I guess they were probably published in some Nambla journal or whatever. But yeah, he wrote some like uh, you know mystical poems about boy love for them. Uh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so that's pretty much most of Breen, but to just loop back to Sarfati here, sort of as a throwaway line, Sarfati says he joined the Rosicrucian Order at the age of 18. Which is like a <laughs> okay. normal thing for young, cool. young bucks, cool, like... Yeah, you know, like Sirhan Sirhan, like just a normal yeah, thing normal you do. Yeah, just normal thing to do. Yeah, always, yeah, all, all about joining the Rosicrucian Order. Uh, yeah, I, uh, what you said about uh, Walter Breen being the Lindbergh uh, baby stuck out to me because I did re- read in that, uh, you know, uh, Jack Sarfati essay that uh, he met with um, uh, Arthur Young, who was like a good friend of Charles Lindbergh. And uh, yeah, actually, Ira Einhorn, who was his book agent, like brought him to, uh, you know, meet this guy, Arthur Young, who was the designer of like the first commercial helicopters for bell uh which is very interesting you know with the whole aviation and air connection yeah exactly like the bell 47 which really like in the time that these things came out you know these were kind of like like ufo so you know like they're very sit like in design you know in principle it's very interesting yeah like Mm -hmm. uh but i guess yeah Mm -hmm. he met that guy because uh arthur young was also like a big like new ager uh he founded like some institute for study of consciousness uh in berkeley in the 70s Uh, okay Okay. uh it was all about process philosophy and you know uh process philosophy you said yes process that doesn't have any that doesn't have any relation to like the process church does it um, I don't think that it but does. I don't I'm going to do the classic Ed Opperman like, thing you know, and, and every, every episode yeah, is going to be of, like... Yeah, uh, right, yeah. Um, well, you know, I respect I it. I respect like the a... hunch, you know? Uh, I do think there's something very weird going on with the process church. I don't know how deep their like tentacles really go, thing. but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah process. Like the process church, uh, you know, I don't know if they... Yeah, I don't know if they, like, are down with the, like, the, you know, if their doctrine encompasses, like, what you would consider process uh, philosophy, uh, really. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, they all call the process church, so uh, maybe they... they uh, well, what, it, what it, do you know what That's process philosophy entails? It's complex. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a long tradition, you know. Uh, but, like, basically, like, Hegel, like, anyone that is, like, about the idea of like change basically as like the main like motive in in history the idea of like being as being becoming kind of like uh marx could be seen as like a process philosopher because okay. of the idea of epics and like the development like historical development you know as being uh fun- fundamental more so than like static substances but obviously gotcha. like you know this is like a broad term uh yeah. but yeah. yeah i think his okay. particular thing was you know uh kind of about like consciousness evolution or whatever uh whitehead uh alfred whitehead's like a process and reality maybe uh you know uh is is something that yeah i haven't read but uh i've definitely had people talk to me about uh anyway uh that's for another time but uh just the point is that this guy was like kind of a a new ager but yeah on the catholic stuff the other guy who uh jamie mentioned willie striver actually also was like a big catholic uh and still is uh you know uh really? despite yeah all of his sort of ufo uh interests uh he definitely has a, i mean 
Daniel Sheehan did too, really. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, so I was just going like, to say, like, like there's not necessarily a conflict between uh, being really Catholic and being obsessed with UFOs, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, uh, yeah, true, that's true. Yeah, they do have their Lucifer, uh, or L-U-C-I-F-E-R uh, telescope or whatever uh, to explore the galaxy mm-hmm. uh and you know they're yeah philosophy, well but, uh yeah. jimmy jimmy do you want to like uh maybe talk about whitley streber i think it's pronounced streber is it i don't know striber streber i just striber, always know jason horsley wrong so yeah uh, you, you do yeah. uh it's okay though i, I just I, I always have in my head like because if you ever listen to the Limitless with jason horsley like whitley streber you know, like that kind of thing. I was, like, right, about, <laughs> I was right about weird, though. You wanted to say word, uh, but, you know. Okay, yeah, you're right. You got R-D, me on that one. That, and, yeah, uh-huh. But nonetheless, okay. uh, yeah, Jimmy, how does how does Whitley Strieber uh, fit into this whole picture? Yeah, so the genesis of my whole thread was I was reading Peter Lavenda's Sinister Forces, Volume 3, <laughs> where he was sort uh-huh. of giving a broad overview of some Sarfati stuff and then some Streber stuff and I'm just going to say Streber I don't know which it is I'm mm-hmm. not a huge UFO head for now mm-hmm. but basically I think we'll abide by democratic centralism and we'll vote right, with Streber right. and mm-hmm. you have to uh, comply so yeah I'm seeing Streber on Wikipedia here and the you know but, I don't know anyway yeah uh, uh, do okay. as you will well, do as you wish so it's like a Kino Aquino who cares uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so Basically, as far as I can tell, like <laughs> Peter Lavenda is talking about Whitley Strieber, Strieber, and he describes talking to him like they were corresponding. And mm-hmm. Whitley tells him that he, and this is in emails, which he sort of like copies and pastes portions of it. And Strieber mm-hmm. says that he remembered childhood visits to a secret school on a military compound. He's telling mm. Peter Lavenda this. Mm-hmm. Further, yeah, he actually, Strieber, yeah, sorry, yeah, no, Strieber says, quote, he, he, quote, believed that he may have been a victim of some sort of medical treatment or experiment at the hands of these men. He further believed that some sort of connection existed between the Randolph Air Force Base and a school in Mexico, unquote. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and you well, suggested that uh, because of the, like uh, there was a whole team of uh, Nazis that were resettled uh, at Randolph AFB, that mm-hmm. maybe there was something to do because uh, you know Whitley uh, Strieber, of course, yeah, like as you said, uh, someone who is very prominent in the UFO world. Like I think Opperman even said that like I met him and he had very glassy <laughs> eyes or something. You know, yeah, uh, those MK which is, which eyes. Is, like, kept, I kept seeing references to glassy eyes. Like, even uh, Jack Sarfati would be talking about everyone having glassy eyes all the time. But anyway, uh, so... Really? Mm. He... Uh, yeah, like, uh, but, yeah, it was, like, a huge influence in, like, the world of, of UFOs because of his book Communion, which is, like, kind of the archetypal gray alien thing. Uh, I might mm-hmm. be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he came up with the idea of screen memories, which is, like, mm-hmm. that, you know, you might have certain memories of things that might seem a little bit off or odd uh, or, like, incomplete in some way, and those memories are basically you know screens for uh usually some kind of experience with aliens whatever you know like uh he's like a lot of ufo people shifted around and what the nature of his experiences are or the entities that he encountered but you know there's a christopher walken movie which uh you know uh, obviously sticks out to people a lot is like the you know the gray movie where you see these very terrifying 
depictions of alien abduction in the classic manner and grays. So he's like a huge uh, force in shaping that narrative, you know, as yeah, uh, he, like we like, know it. Yeah. He laid down a lot of that mythos of abductee culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, rectal probe stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of communion is just him complaining about like his ass pain, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that from his rectal wow. probes. Like, oh, so but, that's yeah, where it like, came from. Because you remember I the like, '90s? Sure that was like where a joke. It came from, but he like, was, yeah, but he was all about it. You know, he definitely he's, pushed he's it hard. His book main, was a huge yeah. bestseller. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's. Uh, but a book he wrote after that was yeah called The Secret School, um, and uh, yeah, the idea in that uh, was basically that yeah, like these experiences that he kind of remembered later in life uh, had actually been going on uh, throughout his whole childhood. Uh, even before, like, UFOs or flying saucers had been named or, like, were properly a phenomenon, allegedly, he had these experiences. Like, uh, in fact, he uh, said, basically, that he had these nocturnal experiences during the summer of his ninth year in what he described as a kind of school. This is uh, an article called uh, Transformation, Whitley Strivers Paranormal Gnosis, which is uh, just kind of about uh, the cha- uh, the changes in his beliefs and things like that. But uh, so, yeah, he went to the school, and uh, after a dream in which the visitors introduced themselves to Strieber as the Sisters of Mercy, another kind of Catholic mm. thing, uh, and I think we got our fantastic- interlude music. <laughs> yeah, uh, showed him a <laughs> fantastical. Uh, well, yeah, you know, or the band, the Sisters of Mercy, classic goth band. Uh, oh, you know, that too. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Love- yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, and showed him a fantastical vision of a sphinx on Mars. He met an old woman. Mrs. Carter, who ran an astronomy class, uh, Dimitri put in the notes here, uh, John Carter of Mars, question mark, question mark, so... Uh, I'm just saying, it's a weird coincidence. Like, so, so yeah, he, uh, it is, and she was from Mars, yeah. The, uh, Sphinx, the Sphinx on Mars thing comes up with a lot of the Stargate, like, some of the mm-hmm. weirder shit that, like, spins off of the Stargate project. Those guys yeah. like, okay. keep like astrally projecting to Mars, and one of the things is like a freaking Sphinx on Mars, I believe. Wow. That's yeah. Huh. Yeah. The whole yeah. the whole astrally projecting to Mars thing is is like a really weird recurring like meme in the kind of UFO conspiracy world that a lot of people have brought up. I know that like Laura Eisenhower, you know, the great granddaughter of Ike Eisenhower, who's like a very new agey UFO person. Like, I know she always talked about stories about how she, like, had a boyfriend and he was recruited in the secret Mars program and he wanted her to come with him. But then she knew that, like, her dad, her great-grandfather had signed a treaty with the Pleiadians in 1954 and so it wasn't good to go to Mars. You know, like, there's just a lot of stuff. Also, I think she did. I think she might have pointed out that known suslord slash cult leader slash owner of Lookout Mountain Air Force Base, Jared Leto, kind of interesting that his band is called 30 Seconds to Mars. You know, like maybe uh, he's like, is that a reference to like astrally projecting to Mars? I mean, he's really yeah, sus. Like well, his high right, school yeah. teacher was John Kiriaku. Like he's so sus. He grew up, he was a military brat, like so much weird stuff. Um, you know, um, uh, but the cool. school but, gets, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, uh, I was just. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, well, I don't know. Maybe you can edit it if it's libelous, but there was a blind item that uh, Mr. Jared Leto is a huge fan of underage fans 
Those yes. Oh, I've seen there are uh, many blinds yeah. about that. Allegedly, right, yes. allegedly on Crazy Days and allegedly, Nights. But yeah. uh, those, I mean, you did draw your own conclusions. It would be funny if Jared Leto sued us for like our like 350 <laughs> Patreon dollars, like, you know, or whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, he's yeah, a busy but, man. Uh, but yeah. This yeah, is, uh, yeah. So it gets even wackier. In fact, uh, on that same kind of note, uh, sneaking after dark, he became part of the class. So that is Streber. Uh, which suddenly was relocated to an open space in the Olmos Basin Park. Later, he found himself simultaneously in Texas and ancient Rome, observing an antediluvian civilization awaiting the impact of a comet while building stoneworks that will survive the cataclysm to record events for surviving generations, and finally, an apocalyptic vision of Earth's future, uh, which mm. will like obviously become a thing, you know, and all of this thing. Uh, the aliens are always warning, you know, about whatever. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. This fantastic narrative was interspersed with apparently mundane incidents, including an electrical storm and a passage where a fevered Whitley literally danced with death, personified as a young boy. Um, so these are some of the things that occurred in Oof, uh, the secret okay. school. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you know, something that I think, you know, uh, both of you might appreciate is that, you know, uh, inspired by Jimmy's thread, I went back and was reading Communion. And something that he mentions in the book is that he wrote this story, uh, the short story called Pain. Uh, Like, before all the experiences, like, manifested and he remembered about the ETs and everything, you know, he wrote a fictional story to kind of try to deal with the emotions he was feeling when it was still embryonic. Uh, And the story is just called Pain. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the story is really crazy. And reading this, like, I kind of was thinking about something that I think we were even asked a question about it for one of the Q and A's and it definitely has come from the grotto. You know, people have wondered, especially with the connection to Epstein and everything, people have asked like, why was Epstein allowed to be killed? You know, was he switched to the body double or something? You know, it doesn't really create a sense of confidence for people who would want to be in this organization, you know, and these mm-hmm. pedo networks mm-hmm. down the line, you know, they probably had the power to save him. Like, why did he go down? Uh, yeah. And I think there's many answers to that question. And this certainly isn't the only one, but Reading the story gave me some interesting uh, ideas. And okay. basically what the plot of this is, is that uh, the author, you know, the, the, the character who is an author, uh, the main character, uh, is researching for a book, uh, and he meets with this dominatrix, basically, um, uh, named Janet. Uh, mm-hmm. And she is, like, some kind of entity. Um, and so there's this weird, you know, she undergoes, like, her tutelage, um, yeah, and part of it is basically that he gets like locked in a box and tortured uh, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much like this whole but so he says some interesting things in the story he says uh, this you know will be my one uh, you know then I'll, I'll tune out a bit but uh, I think this is this might be of, of interest here so okay. he says for almost all of human history it has been believed that there is something to be gained by human sacrifice there are lurid tales of it in ancient times when it was practiced formally in the Golden Bough, uh, Fraser comments that worship of the feminine principle was everywhere and in all times associated with human sacrifice. This is naturally an outrageous misstatement of fact. All or early religion was associated, uh, or did associate, sexuality uh, with death. Uh, human sacrifice was an integral part of much ritual. There has forever been the notion that something higher than men had to be fed on human souls. Janet has taught me both the truth and the error in this concept. She has taught me with my own life's blood. Because of the belief that the importance of the victim matters, the sacrifice of kings is an ancient Western tradition. It persisted in organized form into the Roman Empire. 
The emperors were not assassinated for political reasons, as is normally supposed, but in a secret religious ritual that formed the center of the Roman state cult. Uh, You can see kind of the Catholicism here. Only a few emperors escaped this fate. Hadrian by letting the Vestals drown his beloved Catamite in the Nile. Trajan by suffering such a terrible illness. The Catamite being, you know, like a a little rent boy. Trajan uh, by suffering such a terrible illness and decided his torment was more satisfactory to the gods than would be his death. All of this is chronicled in the recently discovered books of Grammius Metarch, who's not a real person, but uh, whose deposit lay undisturbed in the Vatican Library until February of 1985. The slow torment and abnegation involved in the great rituals of sacrifice, where a haughty lord was humiliated and tortured before his former subjects, derived from the conclusion that death was not the only thing wanted. Suffering was also wanted. We make an error by trying to interpret the motives of higher beings. To learn from them, we must first accept their presence and then their primacy over us. Western culture, with its dependence on empiricism and its exaltation of the individual, equips us for neither of these things. It takes the fire of great agony to burn away these confused notions. That is the reason for the suffering associated with sacrifice. Suffering leads people to understand themselves. This is perhaps why there is a tremendous and subtle mechanism of destruction in human life. We are not here for the wine, but for the stones. What might spread the boundaries of Camelot is destroyed by those who love us the most. It Whoa. has been whispered by okay. yeah, it has <laughs> Camelot, been whispered huh? that President Kennedy yep, was killed in an alchemical ritual called the Death of the White King, the purpose of which was to open the door to new suffering in the world, perhaps to bring about the long and complicated series of events that would end a nuclear war. Even a small nuclear war might touch off atmospheric changes that would lead to the cooling short of nuclear winter, but intense enough to cause one fatal summer of snow that could lead to a new ice age. After Kennedy's death, a famous Scottish prophet saw the snow spreading down from Ben Bolben to cover the whole world. Yep. <laughs> Other prophets have also seen snows. Even if we save ourselves from war, the environment is turning against us. There is increasing volcanic activity throughout the world, almost as if the planet itself was beginning to do battle on behalf of suffering. So you can actually kind of see the uh, apocalyptic narrative of like global environmental uh, catastrophe, like, but it's yeah. not like fully developed. It's like volcanoes are going to erupt. But anyway... We do not uh, give our sacrifices, we receive them. The greatest sacrifice produces the greatest learning. This is, you get kind of the education theme. The most blessed are those who suffer the most. That is the prime aesthetic of death, at once the horror of it and the med- miracle. Thus Hitler's victims are among the greatest of all heroes, but we only mourn them. We do not celebrate their valor because we do not understand what they really did. The one thing that became clear to me from my association with Janet is that there is something that feeds on human suffering. It is not a principle or some nebulous spiritual presence, but a real civilization, albeit with higher goals, motives, and understanding than our own. And at the climax of the book, this dominatrix says to him, you know, you understand the perfects of sacrifice. You have always understood it. You were born for it, raised, and educated for it. You have dropped your fruit in the sun. Now it is time for you to pay. Uh, so it, then the last part of the book is a story that is. Uh, The wind shakes the cabin. Somewhere out there I know that Janet waits in the cold. One day she will come for me. When she does, she will tear my heart from my chest like the priests once did to their anointed victims on the altars of the Aztecs. This time there will be no reprieve. She has graduated me from her school. I will watch her squeeze out the pumping life, and my soul will be caught in her hungry jaws. And even to this day, like in 2012, he had a whole book called like Solving the Communion Enigma, where he says basically that uh, about the secret school, he says, I had been in a school, but the amazing purpose of the school was clear. 
it was to draw back the veil that stands between us and the world around us, and in so doing, draw back the veil between the living and the dead. Uh, so the living are the students, and the graduates are the dead. So, yeah. Do you think they're grateful when they graduate? Do you think they're oh, grateful mm, then? Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, my God. So basically, uh, Whitley yeah. Strieber is going to hell in a bucket with that dominatrix from the music video. Um, yes. He's hmm. going to hell in a bucket, and, like, that's part of this process, and it's like... Graduating. A, a, yeah, a great, a great so, sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. It's Okay, good, you know, so you're saying that Jeffrey Epstein was perhaps maybe not necessarily... He, he, yeah, maybe he was he offered. He was murdered, maybe but actually fact, And maybe he offered. even accepted it. Maybe he accepted it in a way. Like, maybe that was uh, what he would have wanted, you know, because that's part of, like, graduating and the whole thing of, like, the transhumanism or whatever. Like, maybe... It was something, you know, I don't know. But, hmm. uh, yeah. Or Jimmy, what do you think offered. about that? <laughs> L- yeah. Listen, I am completely LaRouche-pilled. I think that the <laughs> ruling elites have a cult of Dionysus, Isis, and that they have a secret religion that they practice. I think that Epstein and his little temple shows a sliver of that secret religion. I'm telling you, man. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because the temple, like, it's so, it's tiny, you know? Like, it looks like, you know, it had a nice paint job and everything, like a weird, like, little dome on it. But that's, like, you know, like a sensory deprivation. Like, you know, what goes on in that temple? Like, you know, it's so small. Like, it's some kind of weird, like, uh, S&M, like, closet stuff that goes on in there. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. People have tried to, I mean, people... People flew drones up to it. I think there was rumors years ago that there was kind of like an elevator shaft or something that like went all the way down to uh, down to like the very like the water line kind of below because it's kind of on a bluff, like, you know, on a cliff mm-hmm. overlooking the sea. Uh, I don't know if that was ever like substantiated, but like really, I mean, it. you don't kind of have to overthink it. Like the guy has a temple on his property. It's clearly not just something he built i don't know like i I find the odds uh are low that he just like decided to go with like a babylonian aesthetic for this one building like perched on the cliff like with a sun dome on it like you know like like a xanadu pleasure dome aesthetic like kind of a hellenistic type Mm -hmm. vibe like uh Mm, you know with greek yeah yeah exactly dionysian or uh sibelian um yeah yeah it gets tricky with these old gods because some people I know like mind control black assassins is like very big on Sibel, the Mesopotamian uh, god oh, who right. I think well, is yeah, like that's the I think is analogous gender god. So if uh, you're yeah, like yeah, on yeah, the he... turf tip, you know that's like the <laughs> ultimate like dark god of our our epic. You know. Yeah, uh, and I forget yeah. I forget if Sibel is kind of associated with like Pan or Dionysus or it's kind of I mean I think they're they're kind of in the same camp of gods mm-hmm. like they're the gods of like revelry and uh, perhaps fertility. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times they're like fertility goddesses but also war goddesses simultaneously so there's like i mean like a duality of creation and destruction and yeah it does seem like there's something okay yeah go ahead well i mean (laughs) if you think about it the nine that they contacted a lot of people i mean they say like nine different egyptian gods so i mean there could be potentially multiple like entities that they're talking to it's yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or a yeah. whole an idea of like a whole civilization or force, like you know, or a a conscious computer that has like multiple, like you know, uh, it like it's henotheistic in some way, you know, where mm-hmm. maybe it has like uh, a one aspect to it, but also a multiple aspect. You know, that's kind of similar to 
uh, Egyptian theology, too, you see the kind of similar things where you see, like, uh, Ra and Horus, or, you know, things like that, where, like, uh, different gods have different sort of aspects and different combined aspects, uh, and, you know, there can be, in, you know, in some versions of Hinduism, there's an idea of Hanotheism, where, like, uh, you know, different, there are different avatars, you know, there's uh, uh, gods that are different expressions of other ones, so, you know, it could be this whole thing, and uh, I think it probably dovetails in some way, or, like, does has something to do with this whole idea of, like, the conscious computer or solid-state intelligence, you know, for, in the future. Like, uh, that there's, like, a scientific explanation of it or, like, a sci-fi-esque explanation of it, but also, like, you know, these ritualistic means might be a way of uh, interacting with it. Uh, I don't know, yeah. Uh, one thing in that, in that story, The Pain, is that when uh, he's meeting with a dominatrix, he's, like, shocked because he's expecting, like, this lurid, you know, or, like, this uh, lavish uh you know like uh a manor for her to live in you know and, and jeffrey epson did have a mansion but where she takes him is like this basement like with a like full of cockroaches like this filthy like you know uh disgusting like dirty uh cell you know uh mm. so also yeah. well, you guys you've probably seen the movie pinhead or not pinhead hellraiser a hellraiser yeah yeah, yeah right. so it's like yeah he's basically describing hellraiser essentially mm-hmm yeah, and they're called, like, the Cenobites, right? Which is kind of like a Catholic monk term, you know? Cenobitic. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like, it's hermetic. Uh, yeah, and they... Yeah, it's, it's very similar, uh, actually. Um, the idea Yeah, the of, like, Cenobites, a group of extra-dimensional, sadomasochistic beings who cannot differentiate between pain and pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess that's why he uh, loves having the pins in his face, because he can't... Yeah. He just loves pain. I mean, it's, like, really peak, like, bleh, like, I'm a Satanist, like, I kill my kids, like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, but I think pain came out before... I think Pain might have come out before a Hellraiser, the novel, so I don't know. The novel was 1986. When did Pain mm-hmm. come out? Yeah. 1986. Uh, I want to say it was, uh, yeah, uh, I don't quite remember uh, the exact date of it. Uh, I feel like it might have been in 85, like maybe the year before. Because uh, yeah. Clive Barker's short stories came out uh, around 1985, 1986. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, maybe, right. yeah, maybe they ran a similar tip. Mm. I mean, it was that sort of sci-fi world that I guess, you know, yeah, as we mentioned, Walter Breen was like so into, you know, it was a huge figure. And, and it like a, when he yeah. was exposed, it was like a huge thing, you know, in the uh, sci-fi world. And, you know, Whitley Strieber, of course, his, like, the thing he was famous for before Communion, of course, was just writing horror and sci-fi novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he wrote The Hunger, uh, the vampire novel that became a movie starring. Uh, David oh, with David Bowie. Uh, I watched that. I watched yeah. that uh, in the last year as an early Tony yeah. Scott film. Very weird. Like very, very One of the weird. Best there's, vampire there's, movies, but uh, very sus. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it's got the uh, kind of lesbian sex scenes with like uh, Susan Sarandon, and I forget who's the other uh, female lead in that, mm-hmm. but. David Bowie's just kind of like doing a very like tech noir, oh, um, you know, uh, nightclub. I forget who does the soundtrack for that. It was like a very post, like new wave, uh, a very iconic new wave soundtrack. This is like 83, I think. Um, but yeah, kind of worth checking out. Very sus. Um, but oh, Catherine Deneuve. That was it. Yeah. The, the, uh, the poster for The Hunger on the cover uh, there's mm-hmm. a vampire, you know, there's David Bowie and two other characters, and there's a ISIS cross. 
telling yes, you. Yes, there is. Cult I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like, which is kind of a symbol of eternal life, you know, uh, that's, uh, um, and is, is there any significance to having the sort of, uh, having a f- sort of face be upside down? Obviously there's the inversion aspect, but is that something either of you guys have seen before in other things? Yeah. I don't know of any particular, I feel like that's, you know, can I mean, many yeah, things. I've yeah. only heard that on like vigilant citizen. I don't really, <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I only yeah. bring it up because uh, one of the one of the sussest album covers that I can think of uh, that I've found in the last few years is the cover to Grateful Dead's uh, In the Dark album from 1987. And for years, I thought it was like their faces rendered as like E.T., like literally like the E.T. thing. Like if you look it up now, like Grateful Dead In the Dark. The first impression, maybe because I saw a low res version of it, was that it was like these sus E.T. like like Spielberg ET beings like in a like kind of dark shadowy like landscape like glancing at each other sideways and then a friend of mine like just last month like kind of pointed out to me that like dude no they're just like it's upside down but like the way it's lit makes them look like weird alien beings like it's very it's a very bizarre optical effect but it just uh jumped out as like <laughs> something I don't know a version yeah. of that. Uh, actually, there's a version of it with like their their faces like upright that just looks like oh it's their faces. But the other version where they're upside down, they look like weird like Jim Henson aliens or something. Oh jeez. You uh, see? Do you see before, that? Yeah. Before Whitley Strider <laughs> became like a big like you know nonfiction UFO guy, like yeah, as uh, Jimmy said, he was doing his science fiction. Uh, what were his sort of fantasy literature? One of the books he wrote, I think in 1983, yeah, 1983, is called The Night Church. Uh, uh, this is a synopsis of the book that he wrote. Uh, Two congregations worship at the Holy Spirit Church. By day, Catholics, at the al- Catholics kneel at the altar of the tiny chapel in Kew Gardens, Queens. But at night, the rafters echo with Satan's music. Feared by the Vatican and as old as Christianity itself, a terrifying alternate religion has flourished in the darkness for two millennia, keeping alive the blood rituals of the Middle Ages while embracing the gods of high technology. Preparing the way for the evil product of thousands of years of genetic engineering, the birth of the monstrum, the anti-man, the death of humanity. Well, that's fiction, but you can see the same themes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, did uh yeah. so did you guys see that also he uh told people that he witnessed the university of texas tower shooting <gasps> i did i yes. i wanted to bring that up like what, what was going on with that because he doesn't remember because he thinks that he was like being abducted at the time right like he or he thinks like, it was uh, a screen memory that was like implanted yeah, in him right. but he, he actually wasn't there it. that day yeah he does remember it but he thinks he was abducted at the time very odd yeah uh yeah, I don't know if you know more about did that. You, did you dig into that more, Jimmy? No, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> no, I was just looking at that. Yeah, I just came across that in communion, that for years he told people that that had happened, but he actually wasn't there, which is a very odd thing to say, that that was a screen. He's memory. like a fake Parkland. Uh, he's like the original, like, fake Parkland kid or something. Like, <laughs> you know? It's like, like the reverse fake Parkland kid, because he, like, actually... Well, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't there. <laughs> I, I, I have no <laughs> idea, but... Uh, yeah. I guess no he doubt. was in Austin at the time, which, you know, UT Austin had no small amount of sus, like, military 
kind of intelligence research going on out of there as well. And it does make you wonder about uh, Charles Whitman as kind of the first potentially programmed to kill mass shooter who, you know, like none of the explanations about what his shooting spree ever really sounded very satisfying. There's a real Dracularity going on. Like they said that maybe he had like a pea-sized tumor in his brain that was like pressing on a gland. It's like a very weird like B.F. Skinner explanation for it of like, well, you see, he had a thing pressing on his brain, so he decided to go murder a bunch of people. Um, no, because then I think back to Full Metal Jacket and I think like doesn't uh, the, dra- the drill sergeant like brag about how Charles Whitman was a- and Lee Harvey Oswald were able to like <laughs> kill their targets so well because they had trained as murderers. Marines. Mm-hmm. Hmm, makes you th- makes you yeah, think. No, I don't know. Makes me program think. <laughs> program to kill talks about this Charles Whitman guy. He was a U.S. Marine, mm-hmm. just like Oswald. Mm-hmm. Yeah, born to kill. What was the yeah. uh, connection to that? Like Farfadi kind of used the book, The Child Buyer, to make like a an yeah. analogy to to Walter Breen at one point. Yeah, let me. <laughs> Let's see here. So, okay. So in Sarfati's memoir, The Destiny Matrix, when he's talking about Walter Breen, he says, I wasn't molested. I didn't see any molesting going on. You know, he insists on that point. Mm. But, but, and Sarfati does this a lot in all of his writings where he'll basically like drop something sort of trail off and elliptically let you draw your own conclusions but mm-hmm. it's like not that subtle okay so he when referring to Breen he refers to this novel called The Child Buyer which is the story of a defense company executive who tries to buy children of a certain sort with potentially critical value Sarfati does not elaborate on how the story relates to Breen he just puts it as a footnote doesn't elaborate hmm huh now, well, like, yeah, that book is like all about like gifted kid type stuff. Oh, too. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I did want to bring up The Child Buyer from 1960, the John Hersey book, because it I mean, yeah, if we're looking at kind of, you know, this idea floating around in that era, this was also shortlisted for the National Book Award in 1961. So this was not like a wacky, obscure really? piece of fiction. Yeah, yeah, no, this is like quite a quite a hit, I, I suppose. And uh, yeah, just reading the description here for for people that aren't familiar, um, it was about a project to super en- uh, to engineer super intelligent persons for a project whose aim is never definitively definitely stated. Told entirely in the form of minutes from a state senate standing committee, it relates the story of the appearance and efforts of a mysterious stranger in the small town of Pequot. And the repercussions of his attempt to buy a boy, Barry Rudd. Uh, I guess it's it. They say on Wikipedia that it's primarily a satire on the school system, although it also posits questions about intelligence, the validity of intelligence and personality tests, and the efficacy of attempts to quantify humanity. One of its major themes is corruption. In The Strangers, Wissy Jones' uh, relentless quest to buy Barry, Jones manages to persuade everyone concerned with the transaction, including Barry himself, to go along with him, primarily through favors, money, honorary degrees, position, status, et al., Although Barry and his would-be defender, a Dr. Gozar, are convinced through a sort of desperate logic, the novel and its description of a non-existent mental conditioning process, possibly intended as a means of leaving Earth, approaches science fiction, although it is more properly put in the genre of speculative fiction. 
So I guess there's like a weird like uh, get like you're a star child like come join the uh, the, the UFO civilization in the sky or something. Uh, so but just like hmm. both Breen and Sarfati, well, Breen got a scholarship from Sheldon, and Breen wrote a letter of recommendation for Sarfati that got him a full ride scholarship. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened here. And yeah, I mean, look at that. Like, like the basically, like it, the the main character managing to persuade everyone concerned with the transaction, including the child themselves, to go along with them primarily through favors of money, degrees, position, status. So, like, that would line up very well. I mean, it definitely lines up, I think, with some of the things we've seen with Epstein and and Ghislaine Maxwell of basically saying, like, don't you want to come and basically you know they would kind of lure like vulnerable kids in with this kind of promise of like living a glamorous lifestyle and kind of you know uh downplay the whole erotic massage you know abuse part of it or you know uh, taking you to see prince andrew and etc but they you know and and it's much like the way a pimp might operate right as they target somebody vulnerable and they get them to like participate in their own i guess for lack of a better term psychological enslavement Mm-hmm. to a handler right mm-hmm. and and they can do it in a way that and, and i mean also you know not to not to totally rebuff ed opperman but just you know, using the music industry as an example you get a lot of like really greedy uh unscrupulous like stage parents and you offer that you make them promises of money they're going to get a big part they're going to be a star just trust me and a lot of parents will like hand over their kid they'll give a, a, a lot of trust over to these you know potentially shady individuals who are promising all these big things so it's like a dynamic we see everywhere and i think it's fair to ask like was this something that this kind of military intelligence apparatus uh and maybe the upper society was <laughs> uh in, you know had programs basically uh of this kind and would anybody have noticed in the 50s or 60s the the sinister undertones just like like you know look at epstein like he basically goes from being essentially a nobody i mean a gifted student but like no real family connections to speak of to teaching mm-hmm. at the dalton school working at bear stearns like meteoric rise to meteoric rise and it's like how do you get plugged in with yeah these influential les wexner just hands him like Mm -hmm. a billion billions of dollars in the biggest property in manhattan i mean that doesn't just happen right (laughs) you know for just because he's so smart like uh there's a lot of very smart people out there that don't just handed the king the keys to the kingdom in the way he did yep and has very um, powerful friends as well. You know, there's like Ronald Lauder of, uh, you know, Red Kahina's favorite past employer. Um, and um, just the, uh, yeah, the whole Victoria's Secret connection, which is another thing, just as a little like side note, I find it weird that like the Les Wexner, Victoria's Secret, that kind of thing gets v- kind of a short shrift in the mainstream press, even though you think it would line up kind of perfectly with like the true crime glamorous you know uh me too kind of narrative like the dark glamorous me too narrative of like it's like they don't want to blow up the op of like victoria's secret being like a huge cultural force over the last 20 years it's like does anybody remember now like the angels and like the the lingerie you know the the shows they would have every year that were like such a big deal and the commercials like creepy bob dylan like stalking a model through venice you know like 
it, it was a huge deal, right? And now we find out that like the entire operation was run by this like weirdo Ohio billionaire who is probably mob connected that like loved Jeffrey Epstein and basically completely set him up. Now, I think there was probably some kind of cutout thing going on there. I don't think like just Les Wechner independently decided to like pick this guy. I feel like they're all part of something bigger. Um, would you agree? Absolutely. And I mean, like, and if you look at Victoria's Secret, they're sus. Like, the company markets basically lingerie to adult women, but they also were marketing it to, you know, pubescent girls. And it Mm -hmm. that's just like, they had multiple lines of that. So it's just like, uh, I don't know about that, guys. And it was it was also in the yeah. peak years of like uh, Victoria's Secret's cultural dominance were the peak years mm-hmm. of Epstein's activities in like the late 90s and the early 2000s. They perfectly coincided. And in fact, now that like I mean, part of it, I think, was like the the, the aftershocks of like Me Too, like making uh, a little, you know, like maybe Victoria's Secret's a little problematic now. But it's almost like they have faded along a similar trajectory to Jeffrey Epstein over the last maybe like five to ten years. They've continuously faded from prominence as like i mean i don't believe he stopped trafficking there were a lot of credible reports of people at the airports down in like the you know the virgin islands like seeing him get off of like his airplane with like very young girls in like 2018 but i think what they said is that they were all foreigners so what he did is he stopped like shitting where he ate perhaps you know i mean we forget like he only really got got popped for going around to like the miami area and doing this to like american girls like if he had stuck to basically, uh, you know, keeping it abroad, you know, it, perhaps it never would have. These things never would have popped up, and Alex Acosta wouldn't have been told that he belongs to intelligence, and you know, we wouldn't right, be yeah. sitting here talking about there was this all right that now. Stuff too that he would always brag about being an intelligence agent, and then there was, or you know, uh, I don't know if he would always do it, but he did. I recall a few times brag about being an intelligence agent at one point mm-hmm. yeah. um and there yeah. was that weird passport where it's like i'm saudi or you know uh now i'm austrian yeah oh yeah, yeah he had an yeah. austrian passport he, he was um, yeah that was the ronald ladder connection he was wearing that right. naval the, outfit the uniform remember yeah with harvey like, weinstein <laughs> he looked real like comfortable like he didn't just throw that on for the first time if you catch my interesting yeah. and yep right yeah. yeah and he was someone said was told that he belonged to intelligence that is interesting but what, well okay fact, let, let, let's pause on that for a second intelligence yeah is let's, interesting like in general let, yeah like right? uh, a higher intelligence uh well i know, well uh, that, that's one way of looking <laughs> at it but uh, jimmy yeah, tell, okay, tell me if this uh, makes sense but like also <laughs> i don't know the phrase belonged means that you're like a possession of somebody you're an asset of somebody mm-hmm. and they own you if if you belong yeah. to intelligence it means like intelligence owns you and it seems like what you were kind of getting at with a lot of your research and hypothesizing is like maybe they did own him from very early on and he's been like an errand boy for them like Back when I was cutting my teeth on the JFK stuff, I had to, like, sit down and really get to basics, right? Like, okay, when someone's, like, when we say someone's CIA, what does that mean, right? And so Mm -hmm. there's CIA officers who rarely are in the field doing, they basically run people. And then there are assets. 
right? Mm -hmm. And those mm -hmm. are people that can be denied. Like, when a CIA agent dies, it's like they yeah. admit, okay, that was an agent. But when an asset dies, yeah. you know, no, they, right. And well, also agent. Uh, correct me. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think agent and asset are like a kind of. They're much more interchangeable terms than like agent and officer. Like an agent is somebody who has been recruited to perform activities for the, either provide information or do certain activities uh, on behalf of like their case officer which is like yes. the actual CIA officer, right? So uh, like there was that famous thing in the 80s where Bill Casey had a memo that said, oh, like CIA officers can't traffic cocaine. But if you're a CIA asset, you know? Yeah, yeah and assets uh, might not even necessarily know that they're assets of the CIA, you know? That's might, true as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there's known so yeah, assets. There's, there's also, yeah, yeah. Like officer, mm -hmm. yeah. then there's, you know, agents. Yeah, exactly. And then there's assets. And the line mm -hmm. between agent and asset is often pretty blurred and mm. there's a yeah. vague parallel between it's like cops undercover cops and then informants and different types of confidential informants right it's loosely kind of yeah. like that concept that's a good comparison yeah so you had to suss that out sorry yeah oh no i mean i'm just saying that a lot of people who are really fascinated by epstein don't necessarily sit down and really look at some of the other uh, sex blackmail schemes. And one of the mm -hmm. people that does is Recluse at the farm. I love his work, yeah. too. He's and really good, yeah. Of course, there's that Profumo affair in England, and I can't speak at mm -hmm. length on it, but like, basically there are a whole bunch of other smaller blackmail schemes, like the Dutro affair, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of the grotto will know what we're talking about but basically these things exist and they're run by assets usually not officers so yeah epstein belonging to intelligence yeah i'm sure he wasn't literally a cia officer but mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. or must so you always wonder about people getting like honorary like military appointments like so maybe you know maybe he had that navy uniform because he secretly was like in naval intelligence <laughs> or something like i've heard i've heard yeah. weird cases of like that being a thing that can kind of happen but being a cia officer you're right i i don't yeah i don't I, and a lot of people don't really like disambiguate those terms and like kind of separate them and you know i think yeah like you guys know about sheep dipping people too right like that's mm -hmm. basically giving that's like you hire someone to be effectively like a cia officer except you officially make them completely not so it's like they're completely off the mm -hmm. books and it's sort of like in the departed with leonardo DiCaprio's character where he gets fired and gets a felony but it's all fake right mm -hmm. and People who are sheep-dipped, for instance, people are pretty sure that Lee Harvey Oswald was sheep-dipped. Oh, yeah. And people yeah. speculate I, I would say, that uh, Ron yeah. Hubbard was, too. Now, uh -huh. I didn't go into it, but it's it's just a short thing here. Sarfati basically says that he, <laughs> he doesn't say he was CIA, but he says that he was interviewed by the cia at their offices and he says yeah i guess you could call me an asset <laughs> uh, well there yeah. you go i mean he, uh, there you yeah go. he was definitely like all up with 
all those people, like, at the Esalen Institute, like, is constantly, like, yeah, absolutely he would be an asset of the CIA, and probably a bunch of other intelligence agencies as well. Yeah. Uh, like, mm-hmm. he was an incredibly spooked up person. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah, and, um, you know, the, but the, they have uh, quite quite a number of, a- I think once especially you get to that liminal category of, like, an asset who might not even be fully aware of it i mean once you do that you got to bad people like jackson pollock like everyone who started ramparts magazine like anderson you know cooper. uh you could anderson cooper a uh, marcos Melitzes who did an internship at the cia and i think applied to join them but oh dang it he didn't get he didn't get the job so he just had to start like a uh like a lame uh like centrist democrat website um that would like ban anybody that like disagreed with his line and like police the boundaries of like uh, liberal politics in the 2000s you know just like uh, you just end up doing something else uh not connected to the cia goals at all or you know maybe even like mayor uh pete a little bit <laughs> maybe he fits 100%. the profile yeah it's interesting yeah I mean, this so is then again yeah oh, sorry uh <laughs> no no go ahead yeah oh so this is again pretty abstract but you know it the whole idea of like intelligence and like it's interesting like you know to think of uh intelligence agencies and the importance of intelligence you know i'm thinking of again, of Jacques Vallée's book, who, someone else who Sarfati brings up, uh, as someone who, uh, he was in his circles and, uh, w- working around the people, uh, who, uh, he was, he was involved with, uh, I think that they might have even met at one point, or at least, uh, someone offered to introduce him to Jacques Vallée, so he was in that mm-hmm. whole world, but, uh, yeah, I, it's just, uh, yeah, I remember when, uh, you know, Major Murphy, that guy, uh, for those who've heard our Mothman episode, maybe will remember this, uh, uh, mm-hmm. which I, maybe Jimmy, you've even heard because it, it came out recently, but, Not yet. uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, when you do, uh, there's a part about Major Murphy and he says, you know, the problem of UFOs isn't a problem of science, it's a problem of intelligence. And there's also that part where he goes, yeah, and he listens to Timothy Leary's tapes that were made while he was in prison with that psychiatrist. And he, and uh, part of listening to the tapes is that he gets passed out this weird questionnaire that is like asking a series of questions. It's like, what do you think about high, like, you know, do you believe in a concept of higher intelligence? What's your definition of higher intelligence? What's your definition of intelligence? Something like that. Like, uh, Mm. I don't remember the exact questions, but the last one was definitely, what's your definition of intelligence? And they were like in reverse order like that, where it's like first, like, Mm. what's higher intelligence? And then what's intelligence, you know? Mm. Uh, And it's very interesting, the idea of like intelligence testing, like the IQ stuff, you know? Like Yeah. And then uh, the idea of like, uh, you know, a child who ends up these kids, these indigo children, the finders cult thing, uh, which you mentioned in your thread, like uh, these kids might have special insight you know uh and uh and the connection with even this idea of you know the uh the the ufo stuff the uh you know the extra the ultra terrestrial things or there's some kind of idea of of a higher uh intelligence you know that justifies all these things you you know leary Uh, some kind of higher before leary went off on his lsd mission you might say (laughs) uh the first one of the first major things he did in his career professionally was develop a personality test that mm. is used to screen CIA agent or officers. Wow. And it's oh, supposedly wow. still I, used to this day. That that's fascinating. I know that we brought it up in a previous episode, the connection between the various types of like personality exams. And I think some of them were 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 kind of developed out of SRI 
and they had like a very i i'm forgetting the context right now but it was something they took very seriously and yes they did basically use it to like pre-screen the appropriate personalities for work in the cia i didn't i I didn't know that leary directly did that um yeah that's bizarre also another just little side note i think what he did before he went into the whole lsd thing is i think he there might have been even while he was working on this uh, personality test i believe he was in charge of like uh, he might have been in charge of like the mental health department at like Kaiser Permanente in Oakland. And I want to say that maybe he worked with Augustus Owlsley Stanley's cousin there or something like that. I remember uh, some, yeah, I saw some thread about that a while back. And so he was up in the East Bay once again, like the hotbed of all this, just a hop, skip and a jump from Berkeley and all uh, these, these pedo science fiction writers and was developing kind of like mental health uh, treatment programs and things like that for Kaiser in, I think, like the mid to late 50s. So, you know, these guys are... Who? Puharik. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. okay, yeah. He has a really sus resume. Yeah. (laughs) When was he working... Oh, yeah, that's actually what reminded me earlier when I was looking at Puharik. I noticed that he had a stint at Kaiser, and I was like, oh, yeah, Tim Leary did as well. Not very well reported on. Um, So, you know, these guys were all just uh, hanging out you know close proximity and you think about yeah the the playing the long game these like lifetime assets you know these career actors if you will and on the, uh, yeah oh sorry <laughs> no no go ahead yeah, go sorry. ahead yeah go ahead. i was just gonna say on the uh, personality uh test tip did you i know that uh whitley shriver was in the gurdjieff foundation like for like a really long time did you see like any other like gurdjieff <laughs> connection with these people because that's a uh, name that you sometimes see like uh floating around with like these uh, and of course you know yeah like sarfati uh was he like into gurdjieff or uh or you know or yeah brain? so i did a different thread that was looking at Esalen Institute, and I only freaking scratched the mm-hmm. surface, of course. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that I saw a direct connection, well, I guess maybe through the Rosicrucians <laughs> with Sarfati, but I didn't mm-hmm. see anything with Sarfati or Breen, um, but I was <laughs> separately going down a whole Esalen rabbit hole. Oh, good lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's it's a really rich there. vein. <laughs> There's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also, if you guys go in the Ennui chat box, I published, uh, I, I found this Google Groups, like, conversation thread from 2002. <laughs> I think it's, like, it's too long for me to read right now, or I think to discuss. Maybe we'll we'll come back. <laughs> Jimmy, you can discuss it with us another day. It's, like, apparently from Jack Sarfati to the Starfleet Academy at the Presidio in San Francisco. And it starts out. Again, in, it's a, a Star Trek thing. Uh, the Starfleet yeah. Academy, for real, like, all right, word. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. But he's basically Starfleet uh, Academy at the Presidio. Uh, yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but right, look at the, look at the yeah. first line. It says intelligence analysis one hundred and one. Thanks for the memories, Bob Hope. Sound familiar? Okay, class. Analyze this for dis and misinformation. Take home exam due end of next week. Sarfati's version of the events below is in the new book, Destiny Matrix, soon to appear. 
And so he's referencing, uh, I believe, uh, Bryce Taylor's Thanks for the Memories, which is very similar to Kathy O'Brien's Transformation of America of talking about being a monarch, you know, slave, basically. And uh, I guess he's giving this out as like a book report to like this group that he's on an email chain with in 2002. And it's all about like Stargate and Puharich and the Nine and like... Like I said, I'd really have to like read through this. I don't know quite what he's getting at, but if is this is Jack Serfati, right? Why is Jack Serfati so interested in Bryce Taylor's? Um, you know, they talk about Ira Einhorn, like all of these conspiracy stuff. I don't know if he's like setting it up to like debunk it or if he's sharing it because he believes in some of it. But very weird, very like, weird. I should just probably say what I think of Serfati before I forget. Okay. Basically, I think. Okay. I think he, Breen, Epstein, they all get like recruited as sort of a baseline thing, and then they get plugged into different things that are suited to them. And I mm-hmm. think with Breen and Epstein, that was more of just like grooming and doing sex trafficking, basically. And mm-hmm. Sarfati, I think, was very much in the vein of doing disinformation. And... Mm we're talking like all types because he was mm-hmm. in some right wing mm-hmm. groups like fascists yeah. basically yeah. and I think that there's a ongoing thing with getting these people to just churn out propaganda Mm-hmm. and just confuse distract mm-hmm. like because uh, he is not so, shy about so down shit coat stuff. yeah yeah, is yeah. Is this no, actually th- Jack Sarfati who wrote this email here? He does refer to himself in the third person, if so. Or is this someone who's like, you know, in the same way of like, uh, you know, that guy who uh, his YouTube channel was called like David Henry or whatever, but it was like, you know, investigating him. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, you know, sure. It doesn't show. It doesn't seem. Oh, like, well, I see. I do see an email link here. Sarfati at well.com. So he was in the well. Hmm, that's that's uh, interesting. Hmm. Not surprising yeah. very much. Uh, so know, he was there. I mean, I'm sure he was putzing around at the very earliest days of the Internet on Usenet. You know, you know I emailed him, right? right? <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, yeah, you did. Did he respond to you? Not yet. <laughs> Oh, what did you what did you say to him? Like, what was it the email about? Like, well, what, was, what was the I content was of it? Trying to kiss his ass a little bit, but it was hard because, like, I've emailed like Chomsky and Michael Parenti, and like I've like talked yeah. to other famous people before, but like mm-hmm. with him, I didn't. I like I don't know this quantum physics shit, so I was just like, I'm a big fan, blah blah blah, and I was just like, Hey, did you know Epstein? Like you were from. <laughs> neighborhood and you sounds like you guys went through some similar things but like i swear i swear to god if anything happens to me that's spooky i will back down from this research so fast i am not actually (laughs) invested in this Mm-hmm. Sure, okay. sure. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully they'll uh, take note of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah exactly. just lightly intimidate, uh, Jimmy. Don't, uh, you know, that's all it will take, please. Uh, <laughs> just a little, yeah, don't don't go too far with it. It's not necessary. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you don't need to sacrifice him to the yeah. dominatrix uh, god. Yeah, exactly. No is. sacrifice yeah. needed. No doesn't need offers. to be offered. Um, yeah. <laughs> no offers, uh, yes, exactly. Don't offer him, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. Cool. Um, um, word. So I guess uh, uh, we could probably we could probably wrap up there. Um, and is there any last things you want to leave us with, Jimmy? 
Absolutely. So, first of all, anyone follow me on Twitter? I've become a real freaking clout fiend. <laughs> like <laughs> when Opper- when Opperman introduced me, he was like prolific poster, and I, at the time I was not a prolific poster, but mm-hmm. I'm getting to mm-hmm. me, and I'm going a little crazy for it. But basically, yeah, I would just say real stakhanovite over here. <laughs> the the one <laughs> et- piece of advice I give to the world is LARPing is good. You should LARP. You should read marks. You should do Olympic lifts. You should buy an AK-47. Basically, if you live like you're in the Soviet Union, then you can create that world for yourself. That's some real magic. <laughs> but it's positive here, here. magic. Basically, yeah. live the life you want to live. Read Marx, read theory, read history. You know, work hard. Tell your, talk to your coworkers. Do all these wonderful things, and good things will happen to you. There yeah, we go. I think that's that that the, that yeah. star that that red star is upright for a reason. All right, that's it's an upright right. pentagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, all it's definitely better to wise LARP words. like you're a Soviet citizen than to LARP like I don't know whatever Walter Breen is LARPing as with that um, LARP like an Atlantean uh, citizen. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did see this, you know, this is, you know, uh, bear, I guess bear in mind uh, Jimmy's remarks about uh, the disinformation that he circulates, but uh, this is a very interesting tidbit from what you sent, uh, Dimitri, which was uh, uh, Mr. Rockefeller uh, is said to believe because one of the channelers of the nine told him so that he has been born again on Earth into his position of wealth and global influence because he was once a pharaoh and before that a ruler of Atlantis. Oh my, uh, wait, David Rockefeller? Uh, which Rockefeller is this? Um, I would guess, or was it Lawrence Rockefeller? Uh, was it Lawrence Rockefeller? Because he was the one that was very into New Agey shit. First mention of this here. Oh, it was I guess Lawrence Rockefeller. Lawrence um, Rockefeller. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's a that's a real um, uh, head trip. I yeah. guess you were a pharaoh. Okay. And Reincarnated the ruler of, of all Atlantis. Uh, and all and Atlantis. Is a big deal, but being a ruler of Atlantis is like even. Well, we're we're doing we're doing a, our next episode is on Atlantis, so we'll cover him on that one. Oh yeah, uh, we yeah. can discuss him then. I almost yeah. Uh, all right, Atlantis it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Atlantis yeah, it is. Yeah, stay tuned for Atlantis yep. uh, on the Alara frequency. Uh, yeah. That's um, right. That's where, right. Yeah, follow Jimmy okay, on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, follow Jimmy. Him also on at Opperman. Thank you for shouting us out on Opperman, by the way. Yeah, so that was very we'll get cool. Get some opera, opera heads. Uh, well, you know. we might just have. We'll also retweet your interview because I guess Ed Opperman isn't like super interested in uh, doing it or whatever. So he's like, just, we'll, we'll he's promote that. As well. It's a good interview. Yeah, it's a good we'll interview. I'll definitely retweet it first. Yeah, no, I love. We love. We love. We're opera. We're opera heads over here. We are opera uh, heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. opera maniacs. Yeah, yeah, if I ever need anything private investigated, I know who I'll be going to. Um, but Or if yeah. I need my email, uh, if I need somebody's emails revealed. Yeah, exactly. He's the guy. He's a concern yeah. about any emails that I need. Uh, yes. Um, if I need a kiosk cart or, you know, any kind of a thing, you know. Or if you're just interested com. in the impossible Whopper, you think of Ed Opperman. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, great commercials on there. Uh, all right, well, uh, 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 we'd definitely be happy to have you on about any future or even past threads. Uh, you know, because yeah, for uh, sure. And any like these things will come up. Again. Other things that I know yeah. about, like Mormonism. 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we'd love right. to have you back for a Mormon app. Uh, uh, yeah, gotta happen, uh, Jimmy. We, yeah, mm-hmm. Jimmy well, Falun Gong, the, mo- the most prominent elapsed Mormon, uh, Mormon in the Grotto uh, Discord. <laughs> um, I've yeah. we've learned a lot. What, what were your um, thoughts on? Yeah, what were your thoughts on uh, the cane, the Bigfoot as being cane theory? I remember you mentioned that that was a big theme in your childhood. That you, you know, that was like old hat to you. You've been hearing oh, that. Oh, absolutely. You know, all the time. That uh, is just like Mormon folklore. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just. Yeah, that's great. Like. Because here's the thing. People don't see Bigfoot that often. It's just one guy walking all over the world. Yeah. yeah. So why go. wouldn't it be Kane? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. that's true. Well, no one's... Well, I guess... Yeah, it depends. It's Because I do think that there are some sightings of, like, two big feet around, but maybe that's, like, mm-hmm. some of his, you know, offspring or something. Maybe that's some other Nodites like that, like, got transformed mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. Seth's a good guy, I think. Uh, well... Not according you know, to Aquino. I don't know. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm actually not. Married. Well, <laughs> I'm not married to the whole Bigfoot is Kane hypothesis. The whole Red Army yeah, stuff that you guys found that blew my freaking mind. I was like bothering my <laughs> that wife about poor that Almasti. all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the poor um, Almasti. Yeah. Uh, r- truly, the worst crime of the purges. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Uh, any other? Uh, I'm sure there's many things uh, we could uh, we could chop it up with in the future. But uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for thanks for kicking it with us. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Peace. You can say peace too if you want, Jimmy. Peace. Yeah. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's first time. All right, cool. He cuts like a wood. Hasn't seen the sun. Tell me everything that's wrong with. Said I wasn't good enough. He's called for the devil in me. Thinks I'm blind, but I can see what he's done to me. What is I